tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, won't cost you to make a call, and Doc is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, frustration with water stoppages in various parts of the county. Have the public meetings on the N24 clarified the situation for land and home owners around the corridors? We'll hear from the Director of Services on that. More on the song chosen to represent Ireland at Europe. Revision. We have criticism from a temporary listener that the International Court uh, ruling on Israel didn't go far enough. Our legal expert John Lynch will be here to answer all of your queries and we'll talk interior design with lovely Karen Prendergast as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines today. Uh, the papers were put to bed uh, too early to cover uh, the big story that the Democratic uh, Unionist Party has endorsed a deal with the UK government to restore power sharing in Northern Ireland. Uh, so that's uh, paving uh, the way, I would presume, for Stormont to get up and running pretty soon. Uh, the headlines on the newspapers, other than that, uh, Irish Independent and their lead story. The government is to fast-track the decision-making process around asylum claims as part of a crackdown on migrants using the system as a backdoor to economic migration. From tomorrow, the number of countries deemed safe by the government will be expanded to include Algeria and Botswana, meaning migrants from those countries will have their cases decided on within 90 days. And the state is currently accommodating 3,000 to 110 people from Algeria and 709 from uh, Botswana. Do you find it interesting and ironic to hear that language? Now, it's a crackdown on migrants uh, using the system as a backdoor to to economic migration. If anybody used that language just a couple of weeks ago, they would have deemed to be far right and racist and all sorts of stuff. I don't know. The Irish Daily Mail, their lead story around RTE, telling us that RTE executives and board members uh, whose name names are anonymised in reports should identify themselves in uh, the Public Accounts Committee. Uh, the names of uh, 26 people involved in the toy show, the musical fiasco, which lost uh, 2.2 million euro were not included in last week's report. <clears throat> the Irish Times and uh, the main story there is uh, similar to that on uh, the Indo today. Again, that story that Algeria and Botswana will be added to the list of safe countries of origin as part of the wider government plans to subject more international protection applicants to faster processing uh, times. Also on the um, Irish Times today, a €6 million Euro funding request from the Road Safety Authority to hire additional staff as part of an expansion of its road safety media campaign in a bid to reverse a surge in road deaths in 2023 was rejected by the Department of Transport. Uh, the Irish Examiner finally, and uh, that story that uh, Gardaí are poised to launch a murder investigation pending the results of an autopsy uh, on a severely 
uh, decomposed remains found dumped in a roadside ditch in East Cork during searches for the missing man, Kieran Quilligan. So that's a look at what's making headlines today. If you want to make comment on any of that, again, it's 083 311 Now, over the past few weeks, uh, several areas across uh, the county have been left without water for days on end. Cashel had issues for a few days last week. That seemed to be fixed over the weekend, but that was quickly followed by water issues in Rose Green. Sean joined us on the show a few weeks ago to talk about water issues in his area and he's back with me now. Sean, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you doing? I'm very well, Sean, and great to talk to you again. Just to remind people, you're in Ellen Park in Clanmill. Um, any updates since we last spoke, Sean? Yeah, I should have got back to you sooner, actually. Um, like, uh, everything is fixed. Water's back the whole lot, right? But I tell you, what started, I say, when I went on your show and started talking about it, and obviously I say Irish Water probably listening in as well anyway. Right? Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, yes, after being on your show, three days after, to wrap my door of a Friday morning, that Friday morning, uh, crew lads came anyway, and uh, they dug up the footpath, which was reinstated again, right? So they dug it up, dug a trench along by my wall, dug down, the pipe was buried under another pipe, so there was no water leaking there, actually. So they went straight to my wall underneath my hot press, just outside my window there. Mm. Broke out that full pass. And when they broke that out, they looked down. The water was flowing out from underneath my house. Right? Wow. Yes. From underneath the house. It was like a tap, right? Mm. So I said, well, that's great now. So it must be in the house. And he said, yeah, it's in the house. I said, Are you, will you fix it in the house? He said, oh, no. He said, uh, we're finished now. That's our first fix. And I said, how can it be a force fix if you're not fixing the problem? He said, we can't go into your house. He said, that's a corporation or county council's problem. So I said, um, geez, this is crazy, lads. So that was it anyway. I looked at the times. There were times now I said one of the lads. There were a nice bunch of lads mm. doing their job, what they mm. had to do. The hands were tied. They couldn't go any further. So I said, I better get down to the county council. So I went down to the county council, went in and met the receptionist, receptionist inside the door. And I said, I want to see someone in housing. So she put me onto this person anyway. So the person couldn't meet me over the housing. But what, she's, what she said to her, look, she said, go up to the phone there and pick up the phone. The person had answered. The person answered the phone anyway. I told her my problem. And she, uh, what's called She says, uh, well, that's not our problem anyway. Well, I said, I'm sorry for your love. I said, um, that problem, I said, is your problem. I said, I'm living in your house that I'm renting off a year, I said. Pay my rent every day, I said. I have a heart condition, I said, 72 years of age, and you're telling me that I haven't got a right to water my house and to someone else's problem. Well, she said, that's the way it is. And how am I going to get this fixed then? She said, what you do, she said, you get a plumber to come to your house, price the work, and go to the welfare. I applied to the welfare to get my, to pay for the water. What? Yeah, and I said, are you for real? And she said, uh, no, that's 100%. She said, we can't do nothing for you. Well, I said, oh, I'm sorry for you, but I said, you're talking to the wrong person. You haven't a clue who you're talking to, I said. And I said, I'm an ex-water protester. I said, the whole lot, I said. I mean, I've been on the Frank Curry show. And uh, I said, and after all my talking to her, she turns around and she said, I'm not over the houses in Ellen Park. Right, and I says, um, right, would you put me on to the person that is? I said, that person is not available at the moment. I said, would you pass on my phone number or whatever and get, get her to ring me or whatever? And she said, I do that. 
So I came out of that place flying like a madman. I said, after all this, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, but they, you see, they're, they're your landlord, essentially, Sean, if you don't mind right. me putting it like that. So they, yeah, they, they the, have obligations to you, do they not? Yeah, well, that's the point. That's what's wrong. I want to get to that point in a minute. But anyway, within that Friday, I got, no, sorry, I got a phone call of a Monday from a guy from the county council. And he said, Sean, I said, yeah, I'm from the council. He said, and he said, uh, are you home? I said, no. He said, I said, I'm actually at a funeral. I said, I'll be there Tuesday morning. He said, but he said, immediately after 10, he did come to my house. And he said, Jesus, you're entitled. Everyone has to have water, Sean. Because mm. I showed him the toilet, I showed him the, the kitchen, the whole lot. The water, no water, and like that. So he said, look, he said, there's lads in Clamill at the moment. And I first thought that, whatever's water, whatever, like, apparently there are guys that's actually, they're uh, contracted into the county council. Now, I didn't know it because I'd been told different completely. I was told not to go near the council, that the council will not help you in any way or do anything for you. Right, so... At 2 o'clock, these two guys arrived in the van, came in, went to the hot place, done a bit of investigation, listened to the floor, could you hear at and said, no, a bit damp, all right. So they went out to the kitchen. These guys knew what they were doing now, right? Mm. They went out to mm. the kitchen, listened underneath my place, and put their ear to the ground. And my man said, there's a leak in that ground, he says. So within about, <coughs> excuse me, within about three feet of my pipes underneath the oak. They dug back along. They broke out a couple of tyres, not many. Mm. And uh, so they found they found the water. It was, down about, it was like a stream, Fran, and the stones were completely washed. Just like something you see in Gold Rush, the way the stones were washed. So this right? had been leaking then for, for, for ages, Sean? Four, four and a half months. Four wow. and a half months. Wow. That water was going on completely underneath this house. And just imagine, just imagine the damage that was done to oh the structure God. of any house, yeah. right? Yeah. So the pipe is in two halves. These guys knew what they were doing. They'd never seen it before. A, a black pipe, plastic pipe, was in, as if someone caught it with a knife. Now, it was underneath concrete, the whole lot, mm. right? So they fixed the problem anyway. And you know what? They were fairly good. And I tell you, you know, I, these guys, if they're promised anyone, I, I recommend these guys. Mm. Too. It's not an advertisement for them. Yeah. But they're two nice guys. They come in, no messing. I know they're getting paid by the hour by the job, but they worked at half five, and the next morning they came back and done what they had to do. <coughs> Excuse me. And, mm. um, you know, I'm happy with what they've done. But the response, I say, came from being on the radio. You know, me being on the radio. Yeah, well, they I, said they actually... I'm glad they it helped said, you, but, but just help me to understand this. Were, were they hired by the local authority to go and fix the leak in the yes, end, they're, I, Apparently they're doing the fixes the okay. whole time. Right. See, my problem is, Fran, there's people like me, probably older... Just imagine a couple, say, in a house, yeah. and the, the water is low, and they might even leak, they might run you a drop of water, might be on the first of the toilet or anything like that. Now, they've been advised by people, actually, that does work for the council, not to go near the council, that they can't do nothing for you. So, mm. my advice to them is to go, ring your Irish water, try and get through to them, but the only way to get through Irish water fast is the a number three on the button saying that's, that's the first fix. If you just press three on that and get you, someone will come on to you straight away, right? Yes. So my my motto is that tell people in my position, go down to the county council, but if you get the same attitude of this person, it deters people away from from going any further. 
Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so if you were a quiet kind of person and you weren't able to fight your own corner, no, Sean. Yeah, you could yeah. you go back to your house, you're going to accept the leaves, yeah. and, and, and you're frightened by the fact that you're going to have to pay for it. So I think the county council should actually let people know if they come in and they're a tenant of that house and should be able to say, look, I can't afford to pay for this. And and I, I honestly think the council fixes it. It's, not, it's just not getting to the right people. Because if you go to reception to put down to someone else that is going to tell you, there's no way this has nothing to do with us. But, but to be told to get a plumber, and God knows it's hard enough to get a plumber, Sean, but to be told that and then go to the welfare to pay that plumber, <laughs> that, 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 that's it's, crazy. It's comic, in in a house that you're paying rent. Yeah, for over 30 years or more, you know what I mean? Like, it's just crazy, you know. And, uh, and even from an environmental point of view, then, you're, you're saying to me that water for four and a half months was leaking at, at a very high rate of water, was it? Well, high rate because my, my, when that was connected, my taps, you turn them on, it, I used to say I was, I say I was using half the water on Ellen Park. My God! And uh, pretty much immediately then on the fix, uh, all and the all the sink, the toilets, the bath, everything working properly again. Everything working properly because ninety percent of my water was going down the oak, and the tank wasn't even filling up. And you know, we say, Fran, even fair say privately. I know lads in, in Ellen Park, no more me like. Yeah. Now the mind the house is even off the council, right? Yeah. Probably through a scheme. I don't know what way they're paying so much every week. Yeah. But I mean, they're in houses. I'm just talking to two friends of mine there last night and the day before. And our water is down to nothing. I mean, actually, you're going paying for a house. And I know some of the lads, they can't even afford to. They can't even afford to get it done private. Do you know, do you know what I'm coming from? I do, a, of course. It's inside yes. the house. Yeah. So there should be some kind of a leeway there. Why should the council be bringing problems on themselves when they can solve it themselves? Yeah, it's interesting about this first fix thing too. But the first fix is only up to... You, you, the, the wall door. of your house, yeah. The, the, wall, front, the, front the wall of your house, yes. You know what I mean, yeah. and, and that's the sad part about. They shouldn't call it a first fix because it's not it a fix. Not, it's not, it's a, not fix. a fix. Yeah. I actually, when the lad said to me, "That's it," I just, I just, I just nearly drained. I said, "You're joking me." I said, "So you're not going to go into the house?" No, he said, "Sean, we can't." You know, and I was kind. Of, I, I was, you know, I was, mm. I was disappointed. You know, and uh, look, I'm sorted now anyway. Thanks for God, have water. You know, mm. no more washing machine, the whole lot. Yeah. Everything is working. But it's, it's it's sad to see the way it has gone, that If you go to the corporation and get this response, but you have to be someone like me or have someone like to talk off you. Yeah. Just tell someone to talk off you. I think it's good that I have no problem talking up for somebody. You know, because I, I see the situation myself, like, and there is people out there, all the people, again, that are afraid to open their mouth because they're, they're, they're meeting this wall and, and, and they're just telling them, no, even though you're a tenant, no, you have to go off and get right. it. Right, but, but your advice but, this morning is to fight your corner because this is what you're entitled to, Sean. This is what you're entitled to, and that's the point I'm trying to make. And, yeah. you know, if, if anybody wants to ask me, I'll say more on it, you know, which is, you know, I'm happy out that it's fixed. Mm. But, you know, it's it's... It's the system's kind of wrong. Irish Water is, is, is a massive company, and I know they're only there for the money. Do you know, like, the water is your water, but if it's inside your house and you're paying rent, and, and uh, you're, you're paying, you're, as a tenant, you're entitled mm. to water. You you, you know? were part of uh, the water protests, uh, Sean. I was back yeah, in the day, yeah. yeah, I, I got, yeah in Ellen Park. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, though, a lot of what people like you had to say at that time was rubbish, but so much of it has come to pass. It's, it's come to pass because 
See, even, even, even all the meters now that's had been put in, like, yeah. over the years, they're all obsolete now. They're going to have to be changed again. You know, they're actually Another put waste of money, yeah. A waste of money. Yeah. But, Frank, could I, could I just mention another point there about... Of course you can. Uh, look, I've seen, I seen a thing up on Facebook about a, about a young guy up here in Ellen Park. He, look... I was talking to him last night on the phone and asked right. him could I use right. his name. You, you're not going to name anybody for me though, Sean, because you get me into trouble here. So No, no. Okay. Right. No, but I'm just saying he's only a young guy, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's only a young guy, but he's only 15 years of age and he was on to me last night to know was it would have been part of a committee mm. in Ellen Park to get the community centre up running again. Yeah. He's only 15 and I I knew, I watched this Sean for growing up and he's, I can't believe it. He was like a 20-year-old. He wants to be a politician eventually. Fantastic. He wants to get he wants to get the community run up and running again. He wants to get the community up and running again and uh and, and is looking for help and I think it should be taken on board because if a young at that age of that much vision of what he wants to do for the community, I think it's a great thing. Well, I think it's a, and is it great that he's come to you that you have so much life experience, Sean, that you can help him out with it. That's very well, smart told, in well, itself. Yeah. There will be hopefully one be more get involved. But right, look, look, mm. he he's, he's, a, he's a young guy, but I'm I'm delighted to see a young guy because there's so much problem in communities with drugs and different stuff and yeah. so his own age. He's had to see all this, and he just wants to be away from all that, and he wants to. He wants to make life better for people in Ennepe. Isn't that great? Well, well, do do give me his name then. What what is his name, Sean? <coughs> Joe Hawkins is his name. He's okay, only well, young. Well player. done to Joe. Well done. And to I know him. and I know all his family. You know, yeah. and I think pe- people should get be- get behind him. I, do, I I wouldn't like to see people. You know, like we said, like parties coming in just say looking for votes and we just want to get the people into the community and help them okay. but you'll always need somebody well Sean will you tell Joe and for yourself as well we'd be completely behind you if there's anything we can do for you here we'd only be delighted to get involved do you know what I mean if there's anything we yeah, can do yeah by, do you know like look, yeah. look his, phone, his phone number will be up on Facebook there's no point giving a due dispatch yeah. yeah. over the place you know yeah. but look and uh, look, I want to thank you again. Um, oh, sure, for nothing, Sean. For nothing. Have me on the radio. Yeah, well, and, you're, you're welcome here anytime, Sean. And I'm glad that everything's back up and running for you again. Anyway. Yeah, thanks, but thanks. again, just a lot of people just have to kind of. Um, yeah, fight, yeah, fight your corner, Sean. Them. Fight your corner. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. And good morning to you. That's a, a good news story in the end there uh, for Sean. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie The UN's top court ordered Israel to prevent genocide against Palestinians in Gaza, but stopped short of calling for Israel to suspend its military campaign in the war-torn enclave as South Africa had requested now in a hearing in The Hague. Uh, The International Court of Justice said Israel must take all measures to limit the death and destruction caused by its military campaign, prevent and uh, punish incitement to genocide and ensure access to humanitarian aid. Now Marie joins me. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. You have a view on that particular court decision, Marie. I think you believe it just didn't go far enough. Is Is that it? 
Yeah, without a doubt, uh, Fran. Uh, the ICJ, and we were all looking forward, you know, to the ruling of what they were yeah. actually going to come up with. And in fairness, uh, only for South Africa, and I suppose they know they've been there, they know what they've gone through themselves. So they brought this to the, to the ICJ, to their biggest court in the world. And unfortunately, I am very saddened and shocked to think that they didn't actually take this further, that they didn't call for a ceasefire, Fran, because... When we look at what we're looking at on the television every day, and sadly, uh, along with this, Fran, what's happening is the media, we're not getting to actually see what's actually happening. And this is why I'm so passionate about this. I've watched uh, what's happened since the war, since that war started on the 7th of October. I've been watching it over 100 days. Now, people mm. might think, well, you have so much to do. But I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about the lives of people and the suffering of people. And when I, when I, when I looked, I, I, I spoke to you sometime back, I think it was in November I spoke to you, or maybe early December, and I, we, we talked about statistics of what happened mm. then. Mm. And the ICJ, okay, they're the highest ruling in the land. But to me, it's actually, and, I, and I'm not in any way discriminating discriminate against the courts. But it really is, to me, so sad and, and, and nearly a joke because these people sit and they decide whether these poor people, whether they call for a ceasefire or whether they don't. Now, we had an Irish lawyer on that bench. Yes. And she was absolutely fantastic. Mm, yeah. and, and I was so proud of her being an Irish woman. She spoke so, so good and she spoke so passionately about what the people were suffering in Palestine. And the ICJ was they knew that. They saw this. This is the International Everybody. Court of Justice, of Court course. Of yes, yes. yes and, yeah. and this indeed, France, this is a war that's taken place in real time. Mm. This is the first time that a war is being taken and the Palestinian people themselves who are suffering are the people who is able to send this on their phones and they're able to see it. Mm. Now, on our televisions, we see about five minutes maybe 10 minutes of what's going on in, in um, Palestine. But I think we need to, to really see what's actually going on. And this is why I'm on the radio this morning, because I'm so passionate about mm. this. Yes. I, and and really do, you, do you view what's happening in Gaza as genocide, Marie? Oh, absolutely. Yes. There's, look, anybody who can't call this as it is, and to be honest with you, Fran, I was very, very disappointed that it took Leo Varadkar to wait our own... Uh, our own um, uh, tongue tied now. Our uh, teacher, yes. Our, our teacher, yes. To call it out, he said he had to wait until the ruling came in before he would decide what he would call it. The mm. dogs in the street knew that this was genocide. Innocent little children being blown to death. Mm. At the moment, Brian, when I spoke to you back in, as I said, in October, November, mm. there was four thousand children killed in that in that at that time. Mm. Today, there is eleven thousand children dead. There is seven thousand eight hundred people missing. There's hundred and eighteen journalists killed. There's three hundred and thirty-seven health workers killed, and there's twenty-eight. 25,000 orphans, and they go under a new name now, Fran. They actually go under a new name, and and that is where it's, um, sorry, now just one second, mm. it's um, ch- um, wounded child, no surviving parent. Okay. WNCSC. That's the new name that they yeah. have on those children. 25,000 of those children. Now, America, as far as I'm concerned, are the biggest cause of this, because Joe Biden has more clout than anyone to be able to stop this war in the morning. Mm. And he is speaking out and he is saying all the time that he, what he said was exactly what 
the ICGSA. He said that they needed to be more careful when they were when they were uh, sending down their bombs and their drones, and they needed to make sure that they were more accurate, that they weren't killing innocent civilians. Yeah, but sure, now, the Americans are supplying the Israelis yes, with, exactly with the munitions. My, yeah. Exactly yeah. my point, Brad. Yeah. He comes out and he says this, mm. and on the 6th of December, Anthony Blinken does mm. a weapon sale of 147 million on, the, on December last, on the 6th of December. So this, to me, is the height of hypocrisy. Yes. Now, I, I presume, and just for clarity uh, here, Marie, um, I presume you don't in the least condone the Hamas uh, terrorist attack on Israel, which resulted in unfortunate deaths and, uh, you know... Oh, my God, Fran. Yes, Absolutely, yes. without a shadow of a doubt, it was horrendous. Mm. Absolutely horrendous. Yes. And, of course, I don't condone. Fran, to me, this is not about... Uh, OK, what I'm looking at on this is, and as I said to you, long before this war ever started, Fran, I've been watching what has been mm. happening between Palestine and between Israel. And this war didn't start then. Just to put the people listening in this morning, just so that you know, mm. since 1967, mm. 1967, one million Palestinian people have been detained in the Israeli prisons, mm. held for certain amounts of time. They can be put in prison, Fran, for the simplest thing. For instance, just to give you an idea, one girl was in her car and she was driving behind an Israeli car. And because she came too close to that car, they took her out of that car, they locked her up in prison, and she served 13 years because they felt she was intimidating them. My God. So, and uh, that was long before, I presume, the the, the, yes. the, the current events. Uh, not that long ago, Fran, not too long before that. Right. So the Israeli, the Palestinian people are the ones who are suffering at the hands yes. of this. Well, Fran, this can, can I be devil's advocate here and, and just put it to you, Marie, that, you know, I mean, we keep hearing particularly from Hamas that uh, that their goal is to to wipe out the the Jewish people, and you know, I mean, we have to take that into account as well in any of our conversations here. Yes, a hundred percent. No, I, exactly. But Fran, who is suffering at the end of the day in this war? Well, who well, is suffering? Chil- children, nobody, children, children, yeah, children. Yeah. So this is not a war about Hamas and Israel. Israel wants to take over the land as well. This is always every war that has ever been since time began, has yes. always been about power, money and greed. Yeah. It has never been about basic human rights. And at the end of the day, Fran, this is about the right of, of life for every human being. And every human mm. being deserves the right to live. And okay, I agree with you what, what you said there about Hamas. Mm. But equally so, Hamas will never be destroyed, Fran. There will always be Hamas. Yes. Because the people today who are being absolutely annihilated, their families being killed, their, their, their families wiped out completely, do you not think that those who do survive this war, that they will not grow up with so much hatred and so much bitterness? But sure, of they course. Of, of course. Of course. And historically, we, we've we seen that uh, happen quite quite a lot when you have a people that are subjected to, to such uh, domineering and and such atrocity of course that that's what happens in the in that avoid do you go along with the two tier um the the two state solution Marie? is that what you think would be well, 
I definitely think it's better than what Israel are planning to take over the whole the whole land mm. and push them out. I, I definitely think it would be better. But I, Brad, the things that are happening at the moment, like out there, p- people aren't aware of it. People do not realise what's happening. They're at the moment, Fran, in the Nazir Hospital. Just to give you a little, and I won't delay you, but just to give you a little bit of an idea. Yeah. At, in the Nazir Hospital at the moment, there was 90 doctors working prior in the last few weeks. In the last week, there is now 10 doctors because they have the doctors had to, to leave for the sake of their own lives. There's now 10 doctors working in that hospital. And what's happening is, at the moment, Fran, in the hospital, there is 3,500 patients and there's 5,000 civilians taking refuge from the bombings and the drones. Those bombings are happening outside the door of the hospital. Doctors are overwhelmed and are walking over dead patients, Fran. There's no bandages. The bandages that they do have, they have to take them off a dead patient to put them back on to the patients who are bleeding and who need them. That's how serious it is. And to make matters worse, Fran, they don't have any sterilization of any kind. So there is such an epidemic of of, uh, infection. Mm. They're having to use salt to kill the infection. Can you just imagine that? If anyone listening out here today, think about that. Putting salt on an open wound. My God, it it doesn't bear bear thinking about for sure. I can I can hear how passionate you are about all of this, uh, Marie. I'm very passionate about yeah. it, Brand, because I'll tell you why. These are innocent human beings yeah. who deserve. Brand, do you think about it? Every one of us listening in, people listening in here this morning on this radio show. Everyone, most people have a child or a grandchild or a cousin or a brother or a sister. Think about your children lying under rubble. Think about that. Think about families of maybe 10 and 12 being taken out of it in one go and left with nobody, maybe just yourself, left in the world. Just think about that. Gone. Not only have they, are they losing all their families, they're losing their homes. And now to make matters worse, Frank, they're starving to death. In this day and age, in 2024, the world watches on while all these people out there, 1.8 million or 2 million of people are starving to death. Yes. And then, only this week, Fran, yeah. only in the last couple of days, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Work yeah. Agency, have said that they are going to cut uh, their aid going into Palestine. So yeah. as if the people of Palestine are not... Well, well other countries relief. are going to cut their economic backing for the, the Relief yeah. Works Agency, it, which, of course, exactly. will result in more catastrophe it, for the people of Gaza as well. Marie, I must leave it there, but you, you explain your point so well, and I hope we can talk again in, in the near future, Marie. Thank yeah, you for... Thank, th- thank you, and uh, bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Marie speaking to us there. 083-311-3311. Now, it seems that finding gluten and dairy-free Products in supermarkets is becoming extremely difficult, especially for those who have no other alternative. And uh, Renee got in touch with us uh, to share uh, the struggles that she's facing trying to sustain her diet, and she joins me now. Renee, good morning to you. And, good morning, friend. Lovely to talk you? to you today. Uh, tell me about your condition, first of all, Renee, if you would. Uh, just allergies. Yes. <laughs> Plagued with allergies, and I'm gluten free, dairy free. And I have an antibiotic problem as well, ampicillin, and 
cephalosporins oh and a nickel problem. So I really have my world circles round. Right, but when you, when you talk about your allergies, they're not like sniffles like I would have or something like that. These are very serious allergies, my understanding is. Oh, they're, yeah, they are, yes, indeed. I carry EpiPens with me everywhere wow. I go. I have also suffered an, an epileptic shock, which I would not wish on my worst enemy. Can you explain it to me? What What is that like? Uh, I don't even want to, to go back to there, right. to be quite honest about it. It's, I honestly didn't feel I was going to make it. Oh my God. On the night in question, um, Shannon Dock, I'm one of the first people to criticise our health service mm. and all that goes with it. Mm. But on the night, Shannon Dock saved my life. Did they indeed? And was it that they you did. ingested something? Did you eat something or did no, you? No, it was actually an antibiotic. Oh, I right. I knew I had a problem with ampicillin. Yes. But this was actually an antibiotic I had taken a month earlier and the infection I had subsided obviously but didn't go away and they repeated the antibiotic and it was the first antibiotic of the repeats and and you reacted badly to to I took the antibiotic I didn't get a chance to stand up from where I was after taking it Oh my God! Um, and yeah. t- tell me about then, you know, sourcing um, food that you can uh, take, Renee. How how difficult I, is that? It's extremely difficult. Is it? Uh, because I am totally gluten free and lactose free. Um, right. So that's no dairy, you, is it? No dairy of any kind. Right. I find gluten is a recognised a recognised symptom, if you like. Yes. There are gluten-free products. They are very clearly labelled mm. gluten-free. Lactose is a totally different ballgame. When you go into the lactose world, you are totally lost. Be- because there it's is, not necessarily it's, indicated on the packaging, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, milk-free, maybe. But unfortunately, I'm all products oh, connected good. with dairy. And it's just the world of trying to sort your sources, if you like. Now, um, as I said, gluten, to get the two of them then, to get products that are both gluten-free and lactose-free, and to try and get in all your nutrients in between is Oh, a minefield and, and one of our listeners, Renee, told me that um, he felt that gluten-free products were being replaced by vegan options on, on the shelves. They certainly are. Oh, now, right. So that's most, your experience too, is it? Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely, yeah. totally. But I have to admit, it suits my condition much better than an awful lot of people. In that, at least if they're true vegan. There's no lactose in them of any kind. You can be guaranteed that uh, there's no dairy in them of any kind. Mm. So it's a scent. And for me, unlike the rest of the world, it's a great start. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So it has actually nearly improved my world. The only thing is you need hours longer to go through, to sift through labels. My God. And what happens when you go out for a meal or something like that? I you mean, don't. You, you don't. have the pre-planning done. You really have 
the pre-planning well, How do you mean you, t- you speak to the restaurant ahead of all time? Or to do about 10 times ahead of time. Wow. You know, you really do, like, and there are some restaurants that go way beyond mm. the call of what is actually, you know, required of them, if you like. Others will tell you, oh, no problem, we're used to dealing with and this is the problem. <laughs> it's, now, I know certain restaurants, mm. and I'm extremely lucky where I'm living now. It's not even a rest. It's not going out for a meal as such. But mm. in our local town in Nina, mm. we have a gluten-free... Mm. Well, that, that's Jenny's uh, place there, isn't Jenny's. it? Jenny's. Oh, Jenny's that's a is fantastic. my yeah. when I want When yeah. I want a treat, I yes. go to Jenny's because yes. I don't stock for myself, for, you know, for treats, really and yes. truly. But when I want a, a treat, I go to Jenny's. Everything in it is gluten-free, but she also does a dairy-free range. And, yes, and I know she's a lifesaver. And, and, you know, somebody yeah. else was telling me, and I couldn't get over this, that, OK, you could have products that's gluten-free, but they could be easily contaminated by being oh, beside something else. This is the problem. Yeah. This is seriously the problem when you have... It's okay. Everywhere you go, to say, if, if I go places, they will say to you, are you vegan? Are you whatever? And I open my case and show the EpiPens. Right. And they immediately change. Now, the very minute you go into, say, if you're out for a day out and you go into someplace looking for quick food, which I don't anymore, but if you do go in and if, you know, if it's, say, an ordinary place where they... Now, the one lifesaver, back Mm. in my life, things have improved immensely, I have to say, rather than gone the other way. Mm. Since I was first diagnosed, the improvement in places has been Mm. absolutely unbelievable. COVID, things went completely backwards again, but they're beginning, I hope, and I really hope to improve again. But if you go in some place and to say they have, you know, dairy-free or gluten-free products, mm. whatever, dairy-free, for some reason to me, dairy-free contamination isn't the issue that it is with the gluten. But with gluten, it really, really aggravates them. When you go into the big, the big stores yes. and you see their breads are all stored and... In, at the very end of the bread is uh, the gluten-free the, the, bread. The, the, the gluten option, yeah. The so you wonder, option. is there a proper understanding about how easily the that's, contamination that's, can happen? Yeah, that's what the, that's what I would really, really like. Renee, I, I must leave it there, but thank you very much indeed for coming on with us today and giving us that uh, insight. And I hope the health uh, stays well with you, Renee. Go- great to talk to you today. Thank you and good morning to you. We need to uh, take a break. We'll be back with more in just a bit. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. says it's very sad what's happening in Gaza. Palestinians have been badly served by the rest of the world, at least since the 1940s. US and UK totally complicit in the murder of at least 26,000 people in the last uh, few months. It's happening before our eyes. At least our government is standing up in some way, but probably not enough. Another listener saying, and not one word from that passionate, and it puts passionate in inverted commas, that passionate lady about Hamas 
uh, hiding behind children and using them as human shields. Now we three three double one double three double one. Now landowners and residents living along the proposed route for the N24 upgrade in Tipperary attended a series of meetings uh, last week concerning the much-awaited. Uh, upgrade of the N24 to motorway standard. Now, a number of uh, public meetings on the N24 uh, preferred transport solution were held in Clonmel, Mooncoin, uh, Carrick and Shirley, I think here as well, in fact. Uh, Marcus O'Connor is Director of Services with uh, Tipperary County Council and he joins me now. Marcus, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thanks for your time this morning, Marcus. There, there was a lot of confusion around this project last week, certainly among listeners to this programme. Do you feel that the public meetings gave enough clarity to to people? Well, I, I think they did. Well, I suppose, first of all, we were absolutely delighted with the turnout that we got for the events. Yeah. Uh, there was over 1,600 attended, over 650 alone in, in Clonmel, 250 in Care, 350 in Moonkine, and 400 in Carrick. So 1,600 people coming into public information mean uh, events is a huge level of engagement that we wouldn't get normally. And I think that the, you know, there was a very good display and there, uh, there, there is still a very excellent website there that gives all the details of people required to check it up. So I think there was a very good level of engagement and hopefully a little bit less confusion, as you say. And in terms of some of the queries you got, certainly what we received here on the show is that notion of the single carriageway and that being dangerous. Um, did you hear quite, quite a lot about that, Marcus? Uh, from a few individuals. And I suppose the point we would stress there is that we don't have a definite decision made yet on the type of road that will be. In other words, will it be single carriageway or, or double carriageway? It, it certainly won't be a motorway, uh, uh, friend. We know yeah. that. So I suppose the factors that have to be taken into account, obviously uh, a dual carriageway or a divided road is certainly a safer road, but there are other factors too that have to feed into it. In other words, obviously the cost, the carbon footprint, and the capacity of the road. And we have to be, in the end of the day, we have to be able to make a case to get through on board Planola and to get government funding. So we have to look at all these factors. And as I say, a definite decision hasn't been made on the road type as yet. Um, what about the households that will be badly affected by this, that will lose their homes? Is, is that definitive at this point? Because Councillor Michael Murphy was telling me that's only three or four houses. Is, is is that true? Yes, that's correct. The total number of houses that will be impacted directly uh, is seven on the entire scheme. Four of those are in Tipperary and three of them in uh, Kilkenny. Right. And the other thing that I was asked to put you as well is the width of the corridor involved. I mean, what what is, what is the story on that, Marcus? Yeah, I suppose we're still at... Uh, picking a preferred route. So we don't um, have the detailed design yet. So the whole idea of having a reasonably wide corridor is that it gives a scope to move the road around a bit within the corridor to suit maybe the requirements of landowners where they might prefer that it goes closer to a, a ditch or impacts less on them. So by having a reasonably wide corridor, it gives us some scope to do that, to move the road within the corridor. And we have done that already on the care to Limerick Junction uh, end of it. 
I suppose in general, the corridor is 300 metres wide in the rural areas and it's down to 150 metres wide in the urban areas. But if you're on that corridor, I mean, you say to me only four houses or so in Tipperary will be affected, but is there still a possibility that more houses might be affected? Not really, no. Okay. No, they, these, are the, these are the numbers that we have uh, kind of settled on now. Right. Well, what about the farmland involved? Because it strikes me that farmland will be the most disrupted. Uh, it will be in some cases. It depends on whether we're going online uh, or offline. As you know, on the section between Care uh, and uh, and Warford, the, we are proposing uh, new, brand new bypasses of Kishil and Carrick and Shore and um, Munkine. Uh, but uh, other, in other areas, there will be uh, offline, there will be online solutions. So, in a lot of cases, we are not actually going through uh, a virgin ground. But for, where we are, obviously, the farmers will be impacted in those cases. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And just in terms of the the the, the project itself, I mean, have you chosen a project manager, for example? Well, our the project team. Uh, the project team is being led by Kilkenny County Council with assistance from ourselves, Tipperary. The consultants who have been appointed for this stage are, uh, are uh, consulting, led by, in this case, uh, Eileen McCarthy and Owen Doyle from uh, Feathered. So they're the team that are leading out the project uh, in phase two, as it is where we currently are now. Is it possible, Marcus, to completely future-proof this project? Because we've seen in the past, when that doesn't happen, it causes unnecessary disruption. I mean, what, what about future-proofing? Yeah, well, there is, I mean, we design generally roads uh, with, with a horizon. I think this one will be designed for it to, to be uh, maybe 2049 would be the design horizon that we'd be uh, looking at. But, I mean, you can't, I suppose ideally we'd always like to do if you could if you could design a road kind of way into the future. But realistically, that's going to cost an awful lot of money. So we have to be in our designs. We have to be realistic in what's likely to get funding and what's likely to get approved by on board Panala. Do we know at this point the kind of uh, infrastructure that will be involved where bridges are concerned, bridges over roads and access if a farm is divided? Are, are we at that point yet? No, no, we're still... Uh, what was announced this week was the preferred transport solution. There will be... Uh, we have Then from that, we have to go to, if we get approval from the government, to go to phase three of the project, which would be the, the detailed design, the full environmental studies, and putting an application to on board Planola, like we are currently preparing to do on the section from Care to Limerick Junction. So it's only at that stage that you would have the very detailed design that you're, you're discussing there. Right, and that will go back to people to peruse again, will it, at that point? Well, the detailed design, I mean, when we're in the detailed design, we will be meeting on a, uh, on a very regular basis with the affected landowners and discussing exactly how it impacts uh, on them. And if there are issues like underpasses or overpasses or issues like that that need to be resolved, it's at that stage 
that the detailed design will take place. Right. So, I mean, this is the difficult one, isn't it? When will we see construction happening where this is concerned? I mean, can you give us a rough timescale on that, Marcus? Okay. On, 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 on this project now, the care to Limerick, the care to Waterford project. Yes, yeah, because yeah, the, okay. because it's a different phase, isn't it? My understanding, uh, the care to Limerick Junction one. Yeah, they're two separate projects. Yes, okay. and maybe look just to give you the, the update on both of them. The care to Limerick Junction project around, and which obviously includes going around Tipperary Town. Basically, we are working on phase three of that, which means that we will be. Uh, uh, lodging an application to onboard Planola in quarter two of 2025. So, and then the other other section of it, which is behind the section from Care to Waterford, where we were discussing the the sections around Planmel, uh, Carrick, Kilsheel and Moonkine, that section of it, we have got approval to take that currently to where we are at the moment, to the end of phase two, in other words, to announce the preferred transport corridor. That has been done and there will be a report finalised on that in the next uh, couple of months. Once that is done, that's as far as we have got approval to. So once we have got that done, we then have to go back to the government and get funding to proceed to stage three, which is to do the detailed design, environmental studies and submit an application to onboard Tanala. So that's where we are currently. There is a perception out there, and we certainly heard it from quite a few of our listeners, Marcus, that, you know, while the Greens are in power, that they will probably do what they can to hold this up in some way. Is there is there anything in that? Well, I'm not going to comment on the, the political end of it, but I, I think it's no no secret that Minister Ryan is no great fan of, of new roads. So I think what we can do from our end then is to make as strong a case as we can that stands up that shows that this section of road is absolutely necessary for safety, for economic, uh, you know, for all these type of reasons and for the communities and the people living uh, close close to the corridor. Uh, Somebody asking about cycling and walking, that's taken into account as well with the plan? Uh, Yes, there will be improvement in active travel measures on parts of this road, particularly uh, around the town, say, on the existing uh, N24 and Clanmel. All right. On a separate issue, a listener wants me to ask you about the steel rail all the way from uh, Bursacane Roundabout to the Limerick Road. Um, Somebody there is going to get killed with the speed of the traffic. A lot of walkers using the walkway and uh, you need one as soon as possible uh, or an accident. Are you you across that? Uh, What's happening there, Marcus? Sorry, which section is that again? It's the Bursacane Roundabout to the Limerick Road. So this is North Tip, obviously, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the N52. The N52 bypass, and we put lights on a section of that. Uh, there, there is a walkway that is extremely well used there. I use it myself uh, regularly. Yeah. Um, there are no plans currently to put a barrier on that, but we have raised the issue with uh, TII. All right, OK. Marcus, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you and good morning to you. That's uh, Marcus O'Connor there, who's Director of Services with Tipperary County Council. Uh, news and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Thanks, Pat. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. If you want to have a word with uh, Doc or for your text and WhatsApp, it's 083-311-3311. Listen says, and this is following on from my chat there with uh, Marcus O'Connor about the N24. This is saying, I'd rather they had bulldozed my house, Fran, uh, than uh, what they are doing, putting a huge roundabout across the road. So I'm not sure where exactly you are, uh, listener. Uh, but thank you for that. Um, speaking of roundabouts, what in the name of you-know-what did they do with the roundabout at the top of Friar Street in Cashel as you go up there towards the, the, the graveyard and that new that new estate of houses there? I mean, everybody's driving over the roundabout because the roundabout is all to one side. Um, I, I'd love to know if somebody could just explain to me why that happened there, because it, it, it certainly when people move into those houses there, I think it is going to cause huge issues. But anyway, uh, how do you feel about that if you're living in Cashel 083-311-3311? All of this week, we're raising awareness in communities about the simple ways that we can all engage with people with dementia and indeed their families by taking small actions. Uh, that can all help to make a big difference. I mean, did you know, for example, that 63% of people with uh, dementia uh, live within their community? Now, that shows us that dementia is not just a a health concern, but it's a social issue that needs a response from communities as well. And Dementia Understand, together in the HSE, they want our listeners to understand the importance of staying connected and engaged on the whole well-being of people with dementia and uh, themselves and there are many local services and supports available in the communities uh, raising uh, awareness there and we'll be talking about many of them during the week as well. We all understand the importance of social interaction being with each other, connecting and sharing experiences but did you know social interaction plays a key role in helping people who are living with dementia it's healthy like exercise for the brain and it supports well-being which has positive benefits for the person staying socially engaged with friends and family has also been shown to boost self-esteem a dementia inclusive community enables people who are living with dementia to do just that to live whether that's staying connected to or joining a club taking up a hobby or visiting their local shop Being with each other to talk and share experiences nurtures the soul and gives a sense of belonging. You can be that connection. Display the National Dementia Inclusive Community symbol in your organisation, community group or club. By displaying the symbol, you're helping to build dementia-inclusive communities and showing that people with dementia and their loved ones are supported in your area. For free training and more information, visit understandtogether.ie or call the National Helpline provided by the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland on free phone 1-800-341-341 from the HSE. Thanks, Jay. And there will be much discussion on dementia here uh, on uh, Tip Today over the next uh, few days. If you would like to contribute to that and if you'd like to share your your experiences indeed, possibly of uh, having somebody close to you uh, with uh, dementia or indeed yourself possibly and uh, why not? We're, again, if you want to speak to Doc about that, it's 1800-938-007. Now, much discussion on the programme yesterday about Doomsday Blue, the Irish Eurovision entry uh, by the artist Bambi Thug. It was chosen on the Late Late Show last uh, Friday night and we heard 
heard, of course, is that uh, Bambi Thug identifies as non-binary. I was taken to task on the programme yesterday for clumsily uh, referring to Bambi Thug as she when her pronouns are they, uh, them. But I'm glad to be joined now by one of our listeners, Tom. Tom, good morning to you. And have we got you, Tom? Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Uh, uh, Good to talk to you, Tom. You were listening to some of the discussion, Tom. What what did you make of it? Uh, Well, I suppose, first thing I thought was the Bambi Thug didn't appeal to me, the name, but um, I can't see why it's been necessary to express your, you know, your sexual, your sexuality. You know, if you're, if you're um, heterosexual, lesbian, gay, Mm. it doesn't make a difference. And and you think that wasn't necessary to do, Tom? Well, I don't think so. This is my personal opinion, you know. Mm. My idea, you just go out there and give it your best. Mm. And uh, certainly, I mean, going back years ago, we know ourselves, it was almost frowned on, and we weren't educated enough to understand mm. the, the various meanings, if you like to use the word. It might be the right one, but... Um, at least, you know, when it was decriminalised and it gives a different view on it. And are you, 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 you're talking from experience there, aren't you, Tom? Because you, you, your son came out as gay, didn't he? He did, friend, yeah. yeah. Probably about 20, 25 years ago and uh, it just gave me a whole new take on it, you know, and understanding, I suppose, would be the best way to describe it. Yes. And but and had, uh, had you to be convinced... At the time, Tom, were you like how 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 did you deal with with that news at, at the time? Uh, convinced, maybe it's a bit strong, but um, we had to understand it, I suppose. You know, um, his mother knows it before I did, but mm. anyway, it was, it was just a relief for him, and I think he he probably agonised for quite a while before he informed us. Yes. But he, he gave me, he gave us an understanding, and I think we view, we view it differently, you know. Of course, yes. And how, how did you feel when you got the news, Tom? Uh, it's hard to describe, I suppose. It wasn't, it wasn't actually a complete surprise, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. It, you know, the fact that his mother had kind of suspected if that's the right word he was unknown. Yeah. You know. But um, we accepted, I remember he said to me, one of the first things he said to me, there was probably a silence. And he said to me, say something. And uh, I said to him, look, we love you. And that that seemed to do, you know, that was good enough. He said, thanks. He said, I I, I was worried about it, you know. And, oh, God. But you wasn't that the perfect response, Tom, to tell somebody that you love them? I mean, you, you that, that's a perfect, perfect response. It is, you know, it just came out, and I mean, you don't think about saying something like that, you know. But uh, yes, but uh, you know, it felt good then, at least that we understood, or at least we were aware, and he was aware, and it, he, he changed. He was, he was more, um, he was a happier man at the time then. Isn't that fantastic? Because of course, so many awful stories from uh, back through the decades, Tom, where it wasn't accepted by families, you know, and. Well, you see, I suppose in my time, and kind of 70 now, but 
it was frowned on almost. In fact, in some cases, they were almost treated as outcasts. Oh, you know, which is a bit strong word to use, but you know. And and that's why where you're coming at then in terms of Bambi Thug and identifying as non-binary, I, I presume the point you're making is that it, it shouldn't be necessary that people should just be accepted anyway, Tom. Isn't, it, isn't, that, isn't that the easiest way? That's, that's exactly my thinking on it. You know, it, it's important to the person themselves, but you don't have to announce it to the whole nation and further afield, you know. It, it's... Yeah. It's a very personal thing, you know. I, I was trying to get my head around it, and the only thing I could come up with was that she made the point so that she wouldn't be um, incorrectly identified as she, as I did yesterday, of course. Um, it, it, she preferred they or them. Well, I mean, that, that's an expression. She, we say that about anybody. She she did this or she did that. It's, I don't think it's a reflection, you know. Yes. I mean, we're going too far now. PC is kind of gone over the top now, you know. Yes, well, Deirdre got very cross with me yesterday because I said she when she identifies as they. So... <laughs> I, I I wouldn't get cross with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I mean, the last thing we want to do, and I'm sure you'd be the very same, Tom, is to insult anybody or to, you know, you know. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, and I suppose we were a bit later than our neighbours in England and Scotland in decriminalising yeah. homosexuality yeah. or call it. But um, it was at least... Now we we understand it more. Yeah, and and finally, Tom, can I just ask you because the line isn't great there, but is is it a better Ireland we're living in now than the one we lived in twenty or thirty years ago? Do you think, in some ways? Well, certainly, I suppose in relation to the subject we're talking about. Yes. But overall, it probably is. But then, I wouldn't give my youth and my early years for anything. So, it's different. I won't say it's better. Right, and oh, when you say that to me, what do you mean the the freedom where where you is concerned? And... Well, yeah, there, there's more freedom, but you know, I suppose that's not necessarily the, the best thing ever. You know, you have to, you still have to live conform to rules, and you have to do everything else. But you know, I think, you know, I think um, it's a great time now for the younger people. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> You mean with opportunities and uh, the like, Tom, is it? They have, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I suppose we had opportunities too, you know. It was a very different time. But you can't really compare, but they have opportunities. And having said that, it's not too easy either for, you know. It's not. And then still we have them heading off as well out of the country and breaking our hearts, Tom. But you look, you know, I suppose that's that's part of it as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. It was always... Yeah. I suppose the world is getting smaller now. It's it's yeah. easier to keep in touch and maybe to, to come and go, you know. For sure. Well, Tom, I was delighted you could come on with us today. And thank you so much for, for, for speaking so honestly to me, Tom. Lovely lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Not at all. Thanks, Thank Fran. you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Tom speaking to us uh, this morning. One of our listeners says, oh, my God, Fran, I'm in tears listening to that man's response uh, to his son who came out to him. He just said, we love you. I mean, isn't that... <laughs> Doesn't that cut across everything? You know, I mean, it cuts across any need for explanation or questioning or anything. Just 
we love you. Just perfect response. I'm sure you'll agree. 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie yeah, listener says, uh, Tom is so good about his son. I'm here in tears as I have a gay son. And he told me um, that 16 years ago and uh, we were the same. We told him it's OK and you're still our son. That man is so nice to talk about his son and tell him he has made me feel good uh, today. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Uh, somebody else on to say Bambi Thug has to be to- uh, tolerant as well. It works uh, both ways. Uh, Brenda Power has an interesting um, observation, I suppose, about Eurovision in uh, today's Daily Mail. And uh, she says, we've tried plumosing uh, the Eurovision juries with songs about EU unity. We've tried seducing them with soupy ballads. We've tried amusing them with uh, Jedward and mocking them with uh, Dustin the Turkey. I guess we have nothing to lose by terrorising them into voting for us with the threat of a non-binary banshee's curse. That's Brenda Parr in the mail uh, today as well. Also into us on um, a WhatsApp. Again, many people on to say how nice it was to hear Tom speak so well today. Uh, we were speaking to Marcus O'Connor, the um, Tipperary uh, County Council Director of Services, earlier on about the N24. A listener says... Uh, the N24 friend, ironically, homeowners might be better off if their house was taken from them because the house could be devalued by as much as 100,000 because of noise, air and vibration and restricted view and they won't get any compensation and will have to suffer the construction noise for over a year um, along with the traffic congestion and rat runs as well. Now, let us uh, move on because a meeting was held at Racket Hall Hotel in Ross Grey last night to discuss the next move for the people who have been uh, protesting there since the news broke three weeks ago that the hotel would be closed and used to house international protection applicants. Councillor Shane Lee uh, has been involved in this right from the very start and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, Fran. Good morning to your listeners, and thanks for having me on your show once again. I know, Shane, that you couldn't make it along last night, but uh, I'm sure you have some news about uh, what went on there. Yeah, Fran, look, I've been speaking to some of the the people that had been there last night um, at the meeting that was called. I suppose there's, we'll go back to the word that I would have said last week on your show, Fran, where we still have a huge amount of um, mixed emotions around the whole sentiment of what has been happening in Ross now going into the third week of the protest, um, you know, and there's still a, a huge sour taste in people's mouth um, in relation to what the government had done by removing the only fully functional hotel. Um, so there's the still anger suppose, there, Shane, yeah. Absolutely, Fran. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, I suppose it's going in different ways. And, you know, it, 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 um, I suppose in the last number of days, people have been coming to me and saying, like, you know, that, you know, we're not standing down. You know, it goes back to the march that took place as well, Fran, and people are saying that, that, like, you know, where they really will show the government what they've thought of them will be in the ballot box um, come general election or local election time. You know, so, like, while people might underestimate that, they think that there's nothing happening. I suppose I would have said on your show, Fran, on a numerous different occasions that, you know, we have people here that don't really know anything about protests or don't know anything about marches. You know, you've just vulnerable people in society that's passionate about their communities and the future of the town itself. Mm. You know, and probably at some stages when I use the word mixed emotions, you know, they probably 
the vision for some of these people, um, you know, because they're not used to being on committees or they're not used to doing this, as I've said to you before. You know, they're genuine families within the town. But I suppose, Fran, I'd like to say this morning on your show and, and to your listeners here this morning that, you know, indirectly, already we have a reaction from government um, in relation to, you know, this. we heard about this package that the Taoiseach has mentioned. Mm. You know, and that package, like, you know, um, we see little movements happening already, private meetings taking place and, 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 and politicians trying to jump on the bandwagon you now to take credit for what they're going to get for the people of Rosquay. But I want to be very clear, Fran, because I'm very passionate about this. In the sense, Fran, that I've said to you on numerous occasions again that we've seen people sit out there I sat out there myself on um, Sunday night until half past, six, half past six in the morning we've people set out in minus five minus six and minus seven weather conditions solely because they're passionate about what they're doing and I would have said friend, I've, I've spoken to the group and I spoke on meetings out there that anything comes to Ross Gray it won't be because of any politician running around trying to take credit for what's coming anything will come to the town of Ross Gray number one it will be fully deserved and number two it'll come because of the movement that has been happening and that match that took place last Saturday. That showed solidarity and it showed support and it showed the strength of people powering communities. And that's the word I'm using to you here this morning. So we needn't think that with politicians now going to jump on the bandwagon and start taking credit for what people have mm. done. And, and do you think, is, is, is that beginning to happen as far as you're concerned? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yes, it happened on Saturday gone by. But I suppose, Fran, just to say, you know, not everybody can get to these meetings and not everyone can get to you know, the protests or the march that took place, but the, the support is absolutely massive. And I want to mm. I want to say that here this morning. And just but for clarity, like, Shane, I mean, you know, it's a fait accompli that the hotel is going to be used now, and that's that's going to be... So just, just for clarity, what exactly are the protesters protesting for at the moment? Well, at this point in time, Van, you see, there's still no, I suppose, clarity around the packages. I suppose it's a big thing that we have been mentioning, that the T-shirt has mentioned. That hasn't come out as public knowledge as of as of yet mm-hmm. that I know of, um, and I suppose this is what I'm saying indirectly that the protest mm-hmm. and the march and what everybody has been saying has spooked the government in relation to a reaction when you mm-hmm. hear the teacher coming out and saying about the package that has been taken place. Yeah, but but so, my understanding of that package is it's for areas like Ross Grey who have been let's 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 be clear about this overburdened uh, over over the years, and he's talking about extra teachers, extra dentists, extra doctors. And that kind of thing. Is that your understanding as well? Well, look, this, this is what we're being told, Fran. Um, but I suppose extra I police as well, sorry, of course. Yes, extra absolutely, guardian, yes. absolutely, yes. Mm. And, and, and I suppose I would be heavily involved in, in the JPC and, and mm. understand the things about that. But I suppose, Fran, what we need in all of this is consistency. Um, again, I don't want to personally see as an elected representative a reaction where we might see a service come in for quite some time and slowly slip away underneath. You know, that's not what it's about. We need balance, as I said to you before on your show, and we need consistency. And that's what the people of Rosgrave deserve, and that's what I will be pushing for along the way. But um, I suppose the point I go back to what's been happening in the Racket Hall, where you started off asking me what's going to happen. I suppose indirectly, Fran, as I said, I want to make this clear. We are getting a reaction from government, while people might not see that, you know, because they don't understand the way, probably the way politics work and the way the system works, through no fault of their own. Um, We are getting a reaction from government. And, and as I suppose, Fran, you would understand that in what I'm saying about, like, you know, we talk about the Community Recognition Fund, where Ross Gray is now catering for 85% of the um, IPAs and um, Ukrainians in, in Tipperary, which is a large number of, 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 mm. of people. Um, and, and, you know, the population grows overnight in relation to that. Yes, and, you know, and, and my and understanding already, as well, Shane, is that nobody seems to have even a clear idea about what exactly that number is that are accommodated in Ross Gray. Is, is that fair? 
yes, well, look, they come out on, on, on one of the shows last week, um, the Tonight Show, one show that was on, and I've seen they use a figure of 400, but people are are, are, are not they're rejecting that um, that figure, I suppose. But I suppose as elected representatives, fan, as you can appreciate, we can only go off of if we get some sort of clarification in writing as yes. to what's there. But we have been asking that question for quite some time. And I suppose at the deputation that I was asked to organise with Deputy Lowry, you know, I had asked that day for the figures and still to today I haven't received that. So, like, look, it's very hard to find trust um, mm. in the minister himself and in government. When and and currently, are we still just talking about the 17 people that arrived there or have more people arrived to the hotel? What What is the current situation there, Shane? There's 17, there 17 people, is my understanding, Fran, currently yeah. being accommodated at the hotel. And I suppose the other thing just to say is, Fran, that some of the staff that have been there, you know, um, they have been obviously getting trained up now if they're interested in staying in that position. Yes. You know, that takes quite some time as well. So, like, that, that's what I'm reading. Uh, and they had to be vetted as well, hadn't they? Absolutely. And that happened, Fran, over a very short period of time. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's all of that stuff going on in relation to it. But there has already, Fran, you know, as I said in your show last week, um, you know, there has been knock-on effects of where people had booked into the hotel for different functions are mm. in the last number of days unfortunately we had a lot of debt in Rosgrave and we've family, extended family coming and travelling from the UK and other places and they've nowhere to stay now in town or if they have somewhere to stay you know they're trying to have a function or have after the funeral or after what's been happening so like there's knock on effects mm. here already and, and already you're seeing that them. are you in terms of people absolutely, trying to find a absolutely. venue and yeah. yeah, and as I said, Frank, that's where the emotion and, and, and I suppose the anger is coming from. You know, this is a massive, massive blow to the people of Rosgrave and surrounding areas. You know, as I said, the only fully functional hotel being removed mm. from, from the people of the town. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it, it leaves a fierce hole and a fierce detrimental um, blow to the people of Rosgrave. And, uh, Shane, have you gotten your head around or the people that you're talking to there about this notion of a community hotel there where, where the Pathé was or Damer House or whatever it was, was called. Any any indication that people are getting their head around that particular yeah, idea? Look, Fran, I, I, like, I've always been up straight and honest on, on your show every time I've been on with you and I've yet to today and as I said we're into the third week have I spoken to anybody in relation to that hotel the community hotel that we're speaking about and um, I've yet to hear someone give me a positive remark in relation to it everybody thinks it's just, you know, it's just a carrot being thrown out to the people to try to soften the blow for them. So, look, as I said to you, Fran, I have to be very cautious um, around that because, obviously, there's a grey area there where we don't, there'd be a lot of unanswered questions and there would be a lot of questions to be asked also. Um, so, again, that's not going down very well. Um, and this is what's happening, Fran. It's like throwing petrol on top of a burning fire. When you have people coming out that has not spoken to the people, you know, the people that have been at that protest or at the mar- that march that t- had took place, there's no one coming and speaking to them. So, like, I would be just asking for people to pull a halt to their gallop um, in relation to, you know, obviously, if it's, uh, you want to use the word a solo run or whatever way you want to go about it, but, like, the people of the town are standing up and they're saying enough's enough. And this community mm-hmm. hotel, like, to think, Fran, that you have a fully functioning hotel and 48 hours after you have government coming out and say they want to buy a hotel to turn it into a community hotel. To me, that's the biggest nonsense, friend, that I've ever heard. And is that the general politics. thinking of the people of Ross Graves, that that is nonsense? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's the word that's been used. Absolutely, 100%. That's been said to me on numerous different occasions now. Um, people are finding it hard to accept that. Um, yes. and, 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 and the word of it, like a community hotel, is worrying, you know. So we. Yeah. Now we, I was talking to, to Matthew McGrath. I know he was in the one up in uh, Monaghan, and he said, you know, it's 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 a lovely idea. It works up there extremely well, but it's it, it it's a different 
it's a different idea altogether what's happening up there, is it not? Because, of course, this the idea here is this would be purchased by the government. Yes, well, that's my understanding, Fernando. Yeah. And as I said, yeah, I but again, there's a lack of clarity on that chain, is that it? Well, that's, that's it, like, you know, and then you yeah. speak about the refurbishment of it. And I suppose, look, there was talks that when I spoke to the county manager in relation to it, that there's other agencies going to be involved in the proposal of it. But as of today, Fran, I still don't have clarity around right. that community hotel. Can I finally ask you something else? Because I brought this up on the programme yesterday. I was kind of horrified about it, to be honest with you, on a, a national radio programme, a former government advisor um, who was from Tipperary, in fact. And he made a, he made a comparison between Tipperary and Alabama. Now, anybody who knows their history would know that Alabama has a blood-drenched history in terms of how they dealt with slavery, with torture and hangings and all sorts of stuff. That was a very... Un- and I presume he was largely referring to Ross Gray. That was a very unfortunate sort of comparison, was it not? Yes, but look, friend, I suppose like we've seen a lot of rhetoric and a lot of agendas um, since this has started. And never, like not everybody, but a lot of people that... You know, to think that someone wouldn't step in, in the community of where this is happening, and it's happening in a lot of communities right across the country, um, to judge the people of Ross Gray, and I've just said it earlier on, you know, we've genuine families here that never had, was at a protest in their lives um, or never done a march in their lives um, that have been standing tall and passionate about their community. So for anybody to come on and say such thing, if he is referring, I don't know, if had, had he been referring to Ross Gray or not. Um, well, he, say, he referred to his home county of Tipperary, but again, because yes. Ross Gray, the most recent, I suppose, of the protests in Tipperary, I presume that that's what he was referring yeah, to. Yeah, but look, look it's, like, I think that's very unprofessional for anybody to come out and say such thing as that individual had said on your show. Um, and it's more than well, he didn't say it on my show, no, it was on, it was on a, or, national, a national radio programme, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, for anybody to say such thing like that, and they hasn't come and witnessed what's happened on the ground in these communities, um, I think that's a height of ignorance for anybody to pass such a remark, if, if the word I'll use that's referring to the people of Ross Gray, or Tipperary as a whole, that, um, you know, mm. people just need to have the facts right in relation to what's happening um, on the ground. And as I said, it's like, Brent, for, I won't underestimate anything that's been happening because the support that has been shown to the people of Ross Gray from the whole mm. country is absolutely phenomenal. And mm. like, uh, like, this is what I'm saying, like people have been stopping out there, dropping in food from all parts of the mm. country. Yeah. I, I, I was going to ask you to repeat repeat about that for me, Shane, because, you know, the, the, this isn't about the, the, the poor people are gone, who are gone into the hotel because there seems to be a bond building up there and people, as you say, delivering food and delivering toys and stuff for the children. Yes, absolutely. And, and just also just to say on that, that like the people of Roscoe, we've been integrating people into our community for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. You know, so like to think that anybody would try to judge the people of Roscoe on that... Um, you know, that, uh, look, I, I actually, I, I don't know what to say in relation to that. To them people, bear, come and meet the people of Ross Come and see what we're dealing with. You know, we, like, the services is a knock-on effect of people's families and the community itself. And we have been speaking about that in Ross for quite some time now. You know, and to think that this is what's been happening. You know, they're putting the cart before the horse all, all the time. And, and they're walking into these situations, friend, blindfolded, um, both the minister and the government themselves. And, like, honestly, I, I, I think they're starting to see that for themselves. Um, you know, because there's different movements being happening. Um, and as I said, mm. the whole hotel in Ross Gray is the whole part of our community and what the community has to offer. The, 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 the only thing I'd put to you and the protesters, and, and I'd, I'd love you to give me your opinion, is is it not time to move the protest 
away from the hotel at this point because it's it's really a bigger picture at this point. Should, should it be in the centre of the town, for example, do you think? Well, look, the, 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 last night, and my understanding was that had been spoken about, yeah. um, you know, about trying to step it down. And, you know, well, not, not even, I mean, even if people want to continue to protest, I just mean to take it away from the focus on the yeah. hotel because yeah. it is a bigger picture at this point, is it not? Absolutely, it is, Brian, but I suppose that's where people have stood up and that's where the stuff, which, you know, there's, there's, there's places they were just sitting in the trailer at night time. And, like, as I said, that has been discussed and, like, you know, that's trying mm. to come across. And as I said, there's mixed emotions. So we have to be very careful because everybody has given up their time and everyone has supported it. So we mm. just need to be careful in the way that we go about doing that because we're trying not to offend or hurt anybody here because everybody has been went above and beyond here, Fran. And as mm. I said, the word is they're all volunteers and, and you know, they're passionate people in the community. So, Mm. We just need to be small, bit careful in relation to that. But I hear what you're saying, and that has mm. been spoken about. And as I said, I understand that was spoken about right. last night. And again, can I ask you just for clarity, Shane? You know, from your point of view, these are decent people. These are people who you're telling me wouldn't normally be protesting. These are people with good hearts. Is that is that what you're saying to me? Yes. Well, these are people find that, as I said to you, and I can categorically stand over. There's a lot. The, the people out there are the people that they don't know what protests are about, or they don't know what marches are about. You know, they're just saying enough is enough. Um, you know, if the, if the straw that broke the camel's back in relation to what the government has done, and they're standing up protesting right. against the government in and, relation and to that. And this isn't about race or skin colour? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not, Fran. Absolutely not. No. And that's not what I represent, Fran, and that's not the people that I'm representing out there that that's that protest into the third week. I want, and I just want to say that on your show here this morning. All right. Shane, good to talk to you, and thanks for taking our call this morning. Thank you. Good. Thank you very much. Good Thank morning you. to you. That's uh, Councillor Shane Lee speaking to us there. 1800 938 The text and WhatsApp 083 311 uh, One person making the point, are the hotel owners not entitled to lease the hotel to whoever they please? It's very unclear what they are protesting about. He didn't answer your question as what they are protesting. Well, he did make the point that it's about services, really. You know, it's about looking after the town in some way. And you're dead right. I mean, commercially, if if you own a hotel, you are entitled to do with it what you will. But surely it's up to the department to look at the overall picture and say, OK, um, the town has X amount of people uh, within the town being looked after within the town. Um, and maybe we need to look at the number and also maybe we need to look at the fact that if we take this hotel for this reason, they won't have a place where they can socialise, a place where they can go for communions, weddings, uh, various events and the like. So maybe, maybe that answers your question. I'm not sure. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. I was just talking about the um, the roundabout at the top of Friar Street in Cashel as you go up uh, towards uh, Leahy Park there and uh, the cemetery. And it just doesn't make sense to me, the, the way it's designed, because most people are now driving over. It's one of those... Uh, um, roundabouts that you can drive over but but people seem to ignore the notion of going around the roundabout because it's just ridiculous the way it is. Anyway, Terry was on to say, good morning, Fran, you're so right about the roundabout on Friar Street in Cashel. How trucks will get around it, I just don't know. And the big wide footpath uh, on the left corner is very dangerous. Trucks will have to drive up on that to turn. And maybe you should have the engineer on 
uh, to speak about uh, that and uh, Terry goes on to be very complimentary about the show as well and thank you very much indeed Terry and nice to hear from you uh, today yeah, it's, it's just that I don't understand what they were trying to achieve with it I mean anybody who's passed by there I'm sure you've been sort of scratching your head going what what is happening there because it seems as if most of the roundabout is in towards the housing estate itself so if you are driving a truck you'd have to sort of turn the truck in as if you were going into the housing estate to go around uh, to go around the roundabout anyway uh, 0833113311 we spoke earlier to the Director of Services with uh, Tipperary County Council, Marcus O'Connor, about the proposed route for the N24 upgrade and uh, the series of public meetings uh, concerning that uh, much-awaited uh, upgrade. And Michael was listening and joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and uh, your listeners, and thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome, Michael. I think you, you do a lot of driving, I understand, Michael, I did, do you? I did. I give it, I, well, I was meant to give it up, like. Yeah. And, and I wasn't ever disqualified or anything, but uh, when you get to 70 years of age, you can't drive a school bus anymore. Which which is nonsense, really, Michael, but it's a whole other discussion, I suppose. What what are you making of the, the N24 and the possibility of that upgrade and all of that, Michael? All these roads, Fran, and you know it yourself, they take too long. Plan of yeah. permission, plan of permission, plan of permission, on board, planola, all these different things. Why do we need a government when we have one planola and say, oh, no, you can't do that? Mm. You know what I mean? This is we. I can't understand it, and there's probably thousands out there that can't understand it either. But the roads, like, because of motorways, you know, you have roads. Uh, you take the road from uh, Torles to Nina. Yeah. That's a disaster. It is. It is an awful road, that's a, yeah. and that's a busy road. And then we have a road down here uh, into Kenny. If you go from Kenny to the west of Ireland, you have to go down through. Uh, over the dining bridge where they bust there one day, not too long ago, there could have been a very serious accident, down into Dora and across into Boris Nassau. That is the main road from Kilkenny to the west of Ireland. And you come into Torleston, it's the main road from Torleston to the west of Ireland too, and to Timplemore as well. And then we have Johnstown to Timpletuhi, to Timplemore, and that's only a boring. And the council engineers, they're doing really nothing because... To take off one turn takes, I don't know, which takes, I suppose, more plan of permission than come in and let them in do the work. And do you put that all down to to objections and to, to Well, I to wouldn't planning. say there'd be objections to take off bins, bad bins. I wouldn't say anyone would be saying mm. that in there. There are stitches like, you know yourself, Fran, <clears throat> they're not two foot wide, they're ten foot wide. Yeah. And you won't be taking land, any land off the farmer, and I'd say... Most farmers, anyway, would agree, take off the ditch and make the road safe. They're not taking any of their land or anything. Like they're just taking the ditch, put up a, a paling or whatever you're going to put up, it'd be timber or build a wall or whatever the case may be. No, they're just slow. The engineers, I don't care who's listening. I, I know several engineers. I won't mention their names, mm. but they're two S-L-O-W. Yeah. And there's a man from Leash now, I was talking to him there, when uh, Doc Martin rung me up and he said, uh, get rid of Eamon Ryan. Because that's part of the issue because, you know, the ideology of the Green Party might, you know, seems to be centred around maybe not developing roads as much and looking at public transport options and other options instead. But if you go into the supermarket tomorrow morning and you're going in for a package of cereal or a package of flour or a pot of jam, it's not there, like, what they're going to say, sure that lorry couldn't come. 
The lorries has to be on the road. You can't run a train station through tourists uh, up to the supermarkets or you can't run through any town through a supermarket. It has to be brought by a truck. Of course, or a yeah. And even if we now go electric with our cars, we're still going to need roads, Michael. Would you do? Would you go for Minister for Transport? <laughs> How many asking you? Uh, do you know what pressure you put in a super single and a trailer? God, I don't. I don't. You don't, and Eamon I don't. Eamon I wouldn't know either. Is it? No. <clears throat> you put 110 or maybe 120 in that super single. And I tell you another one, anyone is listening driving a motor car or a van, yeah. if you pull up beside a truck and that tyre blows off, your door is gone and your glass in the door is gone as well. You could be injured badly, so don't be parking beside a truck in every traffic. Because the pressure that's in there <coughs> will blow your door away. My God almighty. Oh yeah, that's, are, are that's for serious? sure. Wow. I had a tyre busted on the trailer uh, three or four times they busted and it just bent the angle there and at the back there was holding on the lights. Good God almighty. And my boss, my boss said, what happened there? Yeah. And I told him he wouldn't believe me. And it happened to his son then one day, and he believed me then. Well, the pressure is there. No, it, it's just we have to have roads, Fran, with the heavy traffic. Yeah. And You're driving uh, a vehicle there is 60 feet long, as simple as that. Did you, when you were driving, Michael, did you drive the Waterford route? Did you drive to I did. Was, I, I, don't, I tell you, I've not been bragging or boasting. Yeah. I was on every road in Ireland with buses and lorries and... Small improvements is all that. Okay, the motor's a great job. No, mm. they'll go it. Yeah. But small improvements then on other roads. Sure, the road or the road from Johnstown to Timple Dewey. Yeah, I know. I, I just, I said, if you meet a truck on that road and you're driving a truck, someone has to pull in somewhere and you can't pull in because the bug is there and you're in the bug. So someone maybe has to set back to some gate or something to gain there. No, actually, there's roads. Sure, Mary Willie's to. Uh, Gorton Hill, mm. a busy road too. That's a disaster as well. Now, no, they're all they're, bad roads, all these roads, they, and they're they'd probably tell you that they, they just don't have the resources, Michael, to... Well, that's what they're to, saying, but your Eamon Ryan yeah. should give them the money. He has it, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, and, no, and also we're hearing about the N24. I think we're going to be at least a decade before we see anything very much happened. Oh, yeah, well, accident. I won't see it anyway, Fred. You'll probably see it. Ah, of course you'll see it, Michael. But well, do you know what I mean? It's going to be down the line. A car, or maybe you'll be driving that, that uh, diesel guzzler, as you said, you have yourself. <laughs> Indeed, we yes, shouldn't yes. be saying that, because Eamon Ryan could take the hobby. <laughs> well, he's, wel- <laughs> he's welcome to it at this stage. He's welcome to it at oh. this stage. Yeah. Well, no, it's all going back to the one, the one thing, like, all <clears throat> the different ministers and all, and yeah. who, who um, <clears throat> gave him the job Lord Minister for Transport. He's not the man for that job. Simple as that. Well, you see, I would in the programme for government and in the agreement before they went into coalition, I presume that was one of the stipulations from the Green. If you want us, we, we want that particular gig because it's important to us from an ideology point of view, I suppose. Yeah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. No, I wouldn't say he'd be there in the next government anyway. Do you not think so? Ah, no, no. No, I wouldn't think so, no, I no, they're, 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 look at, I know everyone is giving out about refugees and everything, but you're looking, if you look at the television, Fran, and see the unfortunate kids, yeah. wouldn't it break your heart oh, to, to say they're suffering and suffering and suffering? I know there's people parading and we don't want this and we don't want that, but you're looking. The man that owns the hotel, whatever it is, he's getting better paid than he ever got paid, so why, 
by it's like a, a, a transport hauler if he's getting more money out well, that. You see, that's so the point, so and, and that's a good point because going. it's a commercial decision, and you yeah, know, course, it's, yeah. it's up to the department, I think, Michael, to look at a place and say, oh, you know, there's too much happening there. We need to look somewhere else. I mean, it's not it's not up to a man who's, as you say, offered a ball of twine, as I say, around Tipperary Town uh, for the business. I mean, sure, of course you're going to take it. Of course you're going to take it. Oh, yeah, but to get back to the roads anyway, yeah. uh, my opinion is the whole, it, it takes too long for planning. Planning, planning, planning. Yeah. Sure, okay, and they're talking about tourists for a many year. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it'll be a great job. You know where Drish Bridge is in Torlis between, it's near to Torlis, is uh, coming from Two Mile Boris. Two Mile Boris, do I know that? It's a Drish Bridge, yeah. Yeah, is that on the main road there? It's on the main road from Two Mile Boris into okay. Torlis. Right, and, and what about now, if it, you had a road there straight across to the Temple Moor Road that meets the Jimmy Dale Road? All right, yeah, straight, right? Into, straight that's, into that's the Not service. that far, I'd say. Yeah. I, I never checked it, but they do it. They do it fairly quick. The council do it very quick with a drone and look across and say, right, just did a great job. People that's going to the Nina then from from Two Mile Boris or wherever they're coming from into Two Mile Boris and to Nina. Race scores and everything out to the out to the race track and the whole lot. None of them have to go to the town anymore. Yeah. Even going to the Greyhound track, they wouldn't have to go to the town. But sure, we, we, we all know the answer in Thurles is a, is a bypass of the town. Same way with uh, Tipperary Town. I'll just talk about that at the moment as part of this N24 project. But they just need to, it needs to happen. You know, like, but you see, when you're going through Tipperary Town driving a truck run, you're in no hurry. Well, you wouldn't because want to be in a hurry, Michael. Young girls or middle-aged ladies or even old ladies looking out at them. She's a beautiful woman. Why would you be in a hurry to go to <laughs> Huh? I'm not joking, you know. Michael, I'm 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 going to say happen. goodbye to you before you get me into more trouble. <laughs> no, I haven't sat there for five minutes. And, and no, you didn't enjoy So it. you're holding up the town, Michael. It's you. Oh, well, that's I'm not holding it up anymore. I won't be going up there anymore. But that time... All right, That's Michael. Probably what I seen my wife was walking down the street. Oh no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Good luck, Good Michael. Thanks Good for luck having to you. me on. You're and, welcome uh, anytime, Michael. Take care of yourself. And we'll get another story about the road some other morning. I'm sure we will indeed. Thanks, uh, Michael. That's uh, Michael uh, leaving it all out now, the way he was spotting the talent in Tipperary Town holding up the traffic. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Uh, Patrick was on to say, Fran, I have to say that Joe Noble was a tonic on the programme yesterday. I was weak from laughing at her. Yeah, she always cracks me up as well, uh, that's for sure, Patrick. Uh, George is in Nina. He says, I'd like to say a big thank you to the people of Ross Gray, especially those at Racket Hall. They're doing a massive service for the people of Ireland. And the interviewer was on to say there seems to be some confusion about every household getting a brown compost bin. Uh, talking with some of my neighbours, uh, some of them don't have other bins and they take their household waste directly to the waste depot themselves. Are they entitled to a compost bin regardless? That's it from a Neil Lister. Well, I have no idea, but um, maybe if we put it out there to some of our listeners, you might know. But I'm always... Uh, confused about the situation with bins and I'm colourblind into the bargain so I have uh, a lot of issues around which bin to use but anyway maybe 
some of our listeners can help. I was speaking to Michael there about the roads. A listener wants to say they did Bowes Corner in Thurless and it's no better than it was. They put road markings on the square and now people think they have the right of way coming out of Parnell Street and they don't. It's a continuous line on the road. The square is a disaster, says one of our listeners. Um, okay, and somebody else saying the listeners, I beg your pardon, the government, uh, don't look at numbers anywhere. Did you hear our local representative yesterday looking for more hospital beds and not enough nurses, doctors or healthcare assistants to look after all the beds we have? It's a joke. So uh, definitely no extra doctors, teachers or dentists for any of these overrun towns. And that's just a little of what's coming into us today. 83 311 Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clanmel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is with me in studio. Good morning to you, John. Very good morning, Fran. How are you? Which of the playwrights said the nation is in a state of chesses? Was that a... Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, there you go. It is. It seems like that this morning, me? anyway. I haven't a clue. <laughs> How are you today, John? I'm good, yeah. Listening to you talking about the roads there, yeah. as I was driving up along the bypass uh, at a moderate speed, trying to get here in time. But uh, I thought it was really interesting that they actually chose to widen that or deal with that road. But I, I think your comment about it might be 10 years or so before we see it. Mm. Um, I think it's as long as I'm back in Clanmel now. God, 40 years, 30, mm. 40 years. They've been talking about, you know, that was a temporary thing, the bypass, and they're going yeah. to put in this new road. I remember I was driving, I was in Wexford uh, over the weekend, driving over a bridge because I was fairly heavily involved in all the CPOs and the roads and all that, you know, the, the, the new Ross bypass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was involved, I was an appointed assessor for determining the values. Were oh, you indeed? Yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah, wow. yeah, it was one of my emanations or whatever. Yeah, I did, I, I was, an, I was, I did arbitration and did a course on it, etc, etc, and became an arbitrator. And then one of the arbitration schemes that was introduced by in in conjunction with the NRA and the IFA was for the road structure around Ireland. So they used to appoint assessors, stroke arbitrators, to deal with the assessment of compensation for all of the routes. And one of the route I was involved in a couple of the routes, but I was involved very much in the Wexford one. Um, and in assessing the compensation. It's a really interesting mm. area of law that I was involved in for quite a while. Now, quite complex in the sense that it's not as straightforward as other areas because the assessment of compensation for land where you, if you have a road going through your farm or a road going, taking part of your house, there's an assessment system that's grounded in a lot of case law and based on the 1919 Assessment Act. So you can imagine there's quite a lot of law around that area, you know. And it it breaks down into things like severance, lovely word, severance, injurious affection and disturbance. They're the headings of compensation that people are entitled to. So and I remember, I remember arriving on my motorbike 
this was one that I did up up the country and I decided uh, I had bought a new motorbike and I said I'd use it and I landed in on the side of a, a road under construction on the bike and I remember coming through uh, <laughs> the road was closed off so this fella arrives on his bike and the boys are in the yellow gear and the helmets are kind of waving at me saying, you can't go up there, you can't go up there. <laughs> but anyway, they, yeah. when they realised that I was actually the assessor because part of it would be looking at what was being taken from a landowner so that you could assess. Isn't that very interesting? Yeah. And the compulsory portrait here, you and I always go off on tangents. So, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, the, no, there are questions. No, but the, the compulsory purchase notion yeah, yes. is that based on market value or I mean very 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 good question because it's based on putting it at its simplest uh, you would think that market value should be a criterion but it's a little bit more sorry it's not a little bit more it's considerably more complex than that because of the compulsory element to it yes so you might be in a situation where you might have your garden taken away. So the whole question of market value is a difficult one to assess because you're going to have injurious affection is the term they use. It sounds really, really interesting because of how you're injured by and how you're affected by the compulsory acquisition. And But it's a fascinating area because That's you can imagine... If you're and the one, the common one that people will say is if if you are suddenly uh, going to be in a situation where you're sitting in your front living room and all you can hear going past your window is traffic. So it it was there was one of the really interesting cases that came in and was involved actually on the Nays Road in early days yes. was that very point. Well, wait a second here now. I'm in a situation where I was in this nice, quiet uh, environment enjoying my, uh, you know, my garden and everything else and you are now running a motorway past my window. So I want to get compensation. And that came and became the subject of a fairly serious reference by an arbitrator to the High Court to determine what exactly... That's very interesting mm. John, because following the discussion this morning, one of our listeners came on to say I prefer, I'd, obviously somebody on the on the route, on the corridor, mm. yes. saying I prefer them to take my house yeah. rather than put me in a situation where yeah. I am looking out on, on a motorway. Yeah. But Correct. has somebody have you a case then, if your land isn't being touched, but your environment is being affected? In very limited circumstances, and uh, it's probably not one that I would be prepared to give you a kind of a general look at it, because the straight putting it at its very simplest. I think it was in Re Chadwick was the name of the case, but anyway, we won't get sidetracked. Somebody will probably correct me if I get the wrong case, but it was um, there was a very interesting whole series of decisions on that very point on whether or not you know you've got a huge amount of impact on your property mm. to what extent are you entitled to compensation and basically putting it in really um, over simplistic terms uh, because I'm always afraid to, with an area like this to make a kind of a general observation but the general observation that you would make is that literally you the way that the case law has gone you're restricted to that 
narrow impact that it has on that stretch of your garden where the cars go by it, if you know what I'm yes, saying to you. Yes. So you're not going to get compensation for hearing it however many much up the road, if you know what I mean. And if you yeah. think about it, the kind of public policy argument on that is that almost anybody will be able to say that they're going to be impacted by it. Of course, yes. You know and I mean? is the greater good taken into account? Uh, yeah, is, is exactly. Yeah, and yeah. As you and I have often said, it's a balance sometimes when you're looking at legal principles yeah. between the opening, the floodgates is the way the, the judges talk about it. You, know, you have this big image of opening the gate and bang out. It impacts on everybody. So as you say, the great good versus the mm. individual's right to There's compensation. There's so many other things I'd love to ask you about that, but mm. we, we better move on. Yeah, one, better. One, of our, one of our more learned listeners on, Helen uh-huh. Walsh, was on to say, the country is in a state of chasses, Fran. It's a quote from uh, Sean O'Casey's Sean Ju- Ju- Juno. Yeah. Juno yeah. on the Peacock. The peacock. So, so yeah. there you go. Oh, right, I knew then. that, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's go straight into some questions, John, because yeah. these have been stacking up over the last yeah. while and yeah. we're, we're just going yeah. to deal with them today. Alyssa says, I'm wondering, is it legal or illegal for carrier companies to take your photograph receiving goods as opposed to signing for it? A driver with very poor English from, uh, and the bench is a predictor company, delivered a parcel to me this morning, but when I asked, where do I sign? He said, no, 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 took my photograph with the parcel in my hands. This bothered me greatly as it didn't feel right, and now I'm fuming that uh, these guys can do this. What does John think? Infringement on personal rights? Question mark, question mark. Yeah, very interesting. Isn't it? Very interesting because... Can I get you to come it, just a little it, closer? Sorry, you, it, no it must... I, I'm too relaxed. I'm pull it close. Um, oh, here we are. There's yeah. an arm on this thing. There is moves. indeed. Um, very interesting because it must have been the very same morning that I got a parcel and it probably wasn't the same delivery. But as in the same delivery person, but I got the same kind of uh, can I take a photograph? And then they asked me for I think was it a an email address, and I gave them the email address, and they took the email address and said that's sufficient identification. And it did, it did cross my mind. I thought, hmm, what if I said no? I don't want to give you any of this information. You know, this is my information is private and confidential, and you're not entitled to it. Now, it. And it therefore it raises interesting questions about can you refuse? Can you say no? And the answer is, I think, putting it as the very simplest is yes, you can say no. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. Now that raises all sorts of practical questions. But there's there's a kind of a it's the listener is right. It is the area of privacy, mm. and it's the area of to what extent are we entitled to privacy and it, funnily enough it leads right back into the point that you made about balancing you know the right to the in the public and the right of the state to legislate in certain areas and interestingly enough the state has come in very much so in the area of data and the right to data and the right of privacy to data under what that ubiquitous GDPR that we all hear about Mm. and that actually has introduced that whole area of you know legislating on to what extent are you entitled to use other people's data for your purposes and how how restrictive of or otherwise is that now before you get into GDPR there is the general right to privacy which actually is 
probably a constitutional right in Ireland because, as you know, we have a constitution and there is the, the but it is, as somebody said, quite nuanced as to what extent and how broad is that right because it's you're going to be you're going to look at kind of two scenarios you're going to look at the public scenario where you're walking along the street and then you're looking at the private scenario which is what your listener was talking about where you're in your home you're in a private scenario uh, as opposed to a public and the answer on the public one is that yes you can you know, you are somebody isn't trying mm. to take your photograph in a public scenario, but there are limitations on that right. So, for example, if they're being, I was going to say obtrusive, but if they're, you know, impinging on your right to walk freely in public, etc., yes. and they're in your face almost, if you know what I mean, you're obviously, that's harassment. That's not mm. somebody taking your photograph. And obviously under those circumstances, you're entitled mm. to say, no, I, I, mm. I'm not... I'm, I'm I, think, not I think with children as well, there, there yeah. are issues there. Are absolutely, not, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, and, and it's, it's all down to what's reasonable, if you know what I mean, mm. and, you know, and what... Now, obviously, the other thing, of course, is that... You know, the old classic um, public figure scenario. Mm. If you're a public figure, then you don't have the same rights as a public figure to privacy as a private individual has uh, because you are in the public domain. And the other one then is that if it's a news reporting item, so if you're coming out of court or you're coming out of a, a public scenario, a public hearing or something like that, the news reporting side of it, again, limits that right to a certain extent. But if you're, and, and the other one, and that's along the lines of your children and things like that, intimate, uh, you know, photographs. Mm, mm. There, I mean, that has been legislated on, specifically legislated on, mm. and I'm sure you've seen, as we all have, the ad on the television where somebody has published something and, you know, they introduced legislation in Ireland that governs that, and it's called actually the short name for it, it's called the Cocoa Law, and I wonder to myself mm. why they called it the Cocoa Law, and I think that was after the lady. It was a particular lady. case, yes. Yeah, there was a particular yeah. lady where uh, this, she's only 21 years of age and the poor woman was being harassed to mm. such an extent that she took her own yes. life and I think her mother uh, and she was very instrumental in bringing in this piece of legislation and I mean that's that's a very very specific scenario but that's a very very um, relevant one in the context of you know social mm. media and the way things are going in the context of social media and that, that attracts both criminal uh, um, repercussions and yes. civil repercussions as well in terms of, you know, that you could actually be sued in damages for something like that. But the other... And, and where, where this case in particular is... What is the object of that, by the way? Taking the photograph of the lady proof, with the, with the purse. Proof of proof delivery. That you've handed it to the right person. Right. I think. I'm guessing that's what it is. Right. And do we have any idea what happens to the image then, John? Because well, that's well, very important, isn't it? Well, exactly. And and the point about that, of course, is that that's your ubiquitous... I, I love that word. That's my mm. word of the week, I think. I like whatever, it too. Whatever, yes. I must look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, the, the point... The, the issue then is that once the image is captured, it's your image and... If it comes in under GDPR and if somebody, for correct reasons, and you don't... Like, one of the GDPR principles is consent. 
and the whole kind of underlying principle is that if 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 you come into my office and I decide for whatever reason that I don't know who you are and I take a photograph of you so that I have it on file so I can identify you the next time you come into the office, right? Now, if I do that, I have to get your consent right. under GDPR. And if it's GDPR, I can only use it for very specific reasons and purposes. So obviously under GDPR, you have to be very careful when you're the data handler that you if you do take the information from somebody that is done with consent and I mean the irony of that is if you think about it and we come across it all the time think of all the information that we almost are obliged to give Mm. institutions and consent it's like you don't get the loan if you don't fill in the form. You don't get the answer if you don't give me all your personal data. And I mean, it's something that really, I don't know, I mean, your your listener was really uh, annoyed and rightfully so by somebody taking a photograph if she didn't give consent in a private scenario. And I, I, I have often feel very strongly about that when I'm filling in forms and I'm asking, why do you want to know how many children I have why do you want to know uh, what their mm. dates of birth are? Mm. Why do you want to know what my financial situation is? Why do you want to know my bank accounts? And why do you not want to know if I have a bank account in another mm. bank? Or when, you know, all yeah. this very... But we, we all know why that is, because well, then they can target us. Correct. Obviously. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Which, which of course is in clear breach of GDPR. Wow. You when know, you think about it like that... Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I mean... Can I say Google? I yeah, suppose I can. Yeah. Everybody knows Google. But Google has been using our personal data yeah. for yeah. years and making a huge amount of money. I'm thinking of taking a case. <laughs> <laughs> Not that my information would be of use. All right, so so basically then, because there's loads coming in here now, we've opened yeah. a whole can of worms about the N24. But anyway, um, in terms of that Did lady... I, were we talking about the N24? We, well, we were, because oh, you were making I, reference to CPO, to CPO yeah, and yeah, yeah. all of that mm. sort of thing. Um so in terms of that lady, what, what should she do now if she has concerns about this? Well, she, well if, if they have taken her photograph, she, she should be entitled to ask why did they need to take the photograph okay. and why didn't they look for consent and it's a breach of GDPR to take it without her consent. Right. And the, the next question that leads, feeds right into that is what's level of compensation are you talking about in terms of breach of GDPR? And that's a whole area that has been legislated on uh-huh. quite recently because they, you can, and the big issue there is, is the fact that somebody takes a photograph per se without proof of damage compensatable under EU law and you're now heading me down another alleyway because the the, the question there is that has been the subject matter of a lot of yes. case law in Europe but, but, or not you're alluding to something you said just just a few moments ago though of course your parcel is there oh yeah, lord if correct. I don't if I don't if accept I don't, the fact yeah, that they're going yeah, to photograph me yeah. I won't get my parcel so correct. come on take the photograph exactly, you know. exactly. And, and, and the irony of that is that's a lot of the reason that 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 we're in this mess yes. sometimes because to a certain extent if you looked at them and said no 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 you're not entitled to take my photograph and I want my parcel mm. the question is where do you go from there where does that stand up and most people yeah. will say I look tell with it I'll take the parcel and that's what we do isn't and it and that's yeah. what we do yeah. and the point about that is we also release information which is enti- very private and very personal to us 
because we want the bank loan, we want the parcel, we want to do whatever. So we're quite entitled because we... And the other thing is, Asher, look, listen, I've nothing to hide. Sure, I'll give them all that information anyway. But as you say, they're getting all that information, then they go on market. They, they target and, you, and, of course, And send yeah. it off. Somebody else says, I think it's a good idea for the delivery van driver to take a photograph of the person. My parcel was never delivered, even though they told me it was. I lost out on my Euro gift, it says here. Well, you see, that's... that's Correct. That's, that's, and, that's, and that's yeah. the practicality of it. Is a lot of people would say, oh, look, take the photograph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And be, be done with it. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's saying my farm will be affected by the new N24 route. Uh, this has caused me and my family grief since 2001. Can I look for extra converse, uh, compensation for the cost involved when I had to go for planning, uh, time loss and stress as well? Now, all these cases are individual cases. With, well, correct, yeah. 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 But, but the point here is that, and I think any, everybody should be very well aware of it, that there is a process that the local authority or any acquiring authority has to go through. There are headings of compensations that are well established, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not a que- it is a question of getting the right, and this is a this is a plug, but getting the right professional help to ensure that you do get the appropriate level of compensation, and that mm. and there are a lot of very specialist valuers in the area of land acquisition that would have appeared before me. Of course, yeah. Um, I'm trying desperately not to go down this corridor, but there's so many yeah. things occurring to me. For instance, if you're corridor, on... Uh, if, on corridor if, road. If you're on the corridor, yes, though, John, yes. for, for many years, yes. you obviously can't sell. And even if you did sell, I'm sure it would affect the price in some way because of the uncertainty. Yeah. Um, are you... Like, what position are you in then if I go knocking on John Lynch's door and saying, what should I do, John? Well, I mean, the int- yeah, but the interesting thing about that is that if you're on a corridor, and as you said earlier, and it's going to be 10 years before, it really is down to, does it affect the value of the land? That's not really a question of uh, assessing compensation. That's more a pragmatic one. Will somebody take a practical approach and does it devalue land? I, I don't I can't answer that question for you as to whether okay. it does or whether it doesn't. All right, we're flooded with stuff today. Anyway, let let me plough on here or I'll get into trouble. A listener had an assessment done by a consultant surgeon for a claim. She's wondering how long typically does this letter take and how long is the claims process in general. Let's take the, the, the consultant one first of all. Well I, yeah, well I presume that's that somebody has been referred to a consultant in order to do an assessment on the basis that they're making a, a claim in a medical negligence, I presume that's what they're talking about. Mm. And how long does it take? It doesn't, well, it it, it takes as, as long as it takes to get the appointment with somebody. Mm. I'm presuming from this, though, that the assessment has been done and he or she is waiting for the letter to confirm, I suppose, the... Um, the infirmity or the whatever. That's the report. The that report. Would yes. I'm assuming that what is it, what I'm I'm assuming. I can only assume that what you're talking about is that somebody's gone for an assessment mm. in order to get a medical report, which will found decide whether or not they do or do not have a case. And again, that really depends very much on the consultant, the circumstances, and how long it takes. You know, I mean that's. It, uh, you know, from from you know, normally, if you refer to a consultant, and you go to the appointment and they do an exam, it, normally within a relatively short period of time, you should have your report unless there's some reason 
for for a delay, further examination or further uh, tests to be done or whatever. I, I'm a, you know, and you know, how long does the claim process take? Are we talking about a negligence claim process? You know, if we are, it can take one year, two years, three years, however long it takes to get a court hearing, however long it takes to get this. It's a, it's a very... It's a very difficult question to answer without the specifics. Without specifics on it, yeah. Kicking but, for a touch. But generally, no. I mean, in fairness, generally, it's a number of years anyway. Well, it? Generally, yeah. it's a number of years to yeah. get a case from, from start to finish, yeah. All right. My neighbour has knocked a boundary wall that is actually on my side of the property. Should he not have uh, should he have asked permission? Uh, what is my recourse now? I bet you never were asked that question before, John Lynch. <laughs> uh, this well, is... if it's clearly... If it's clearly and provably on your side of the property, it's your wall and they can't knock it is the straight answer. And the next question is, if they do knock it, what area of law are you talking about? You're talking about trespass, you're talking about compensation and trespass, you're talking about compensation for the damage to the wall and the trespass, if that's if that's what you're talking about. But I do caution uh, anybody when it comes to walls and where they are that it's often an extremely difficult thing to prove. Was it a party and party wall or was it an actual boundary wall or not? And I mean, many, many a case has been mm. argued on that as to where in fact is the boundary wall. Is it or is it not? And sometimes you might have a wall mm. up against a wall that looks like it's a, your wall. And in fact, it was built along what was a historical boundary. Yeah. Do you do you get frustrated at times if somebody wouldn't just go out and knock on their neighbour's door and say, look, is it okay if I knock the wall? Like, well, there can be any, many reasons why they mightn't do that. I suppose, yeah. Somebody on as well to say, um, Fran, working for a delivery company, um, you're talking about photographs are taken to protect the customer and the delivery driver. Number one, the picture is taken if the customer isn't at home when the driver leaves the parcel, so they get a notification with the image of where the parcel was left. Number two, when the picture is taken with the person, there's only a small percentage of them pictured with the parcel and never their face taken to protect both parties. If the customer claims that they never received the parcel, which happens in numerous cages, cases, the image is then to prove that they received it. Well, yeah, but I think it's really interesting because mm. one of the things that I think we all have an issue with, potential issue with, is parcel left at your door. And I think I think there's a lot of discussion around how to do this properly. But I think it does come back to the very point that was raised earlier by the listener. Can you do it with a consent? And the answer is no. You have to say to the person, is it OK if I do this and explain to them why? I mean, if somebody explains to you why they're doing it and asks you for your consent, you know, nine tens out of a nine mm. times out of ten you probably would say yeah fine that's fine as long as I understand why you're doing that and then you know you don't use it for any other purposes yeah the, the one question there though is if they take your photograph with your face not in it how, yeah, how does it prove how does it prove that it's you? anyway uh, I'm looking too much into this now aren't I, I? you are alright will you do a final one for me yeah. do you need to get a solicitor if you're appearing in the district court on a traffic matter 
you don't need a solicitor in the district court. You don't need a solicitor to do anything legal per se. You can do it yourself. A lot of it can be done yourself. But again, the answer is very much dependent on how serious. Well, first of all, how comfortable you are going into the district court, uh, how serious the road traffic offence is. And, you know, it really comes down to that. Like if it's something that you feel comfortable with that, you know, let's say you were, I don't know, you didn't pay the fine or you didn't have tax in your car or whatever and you have a reasonable explanation. You know, in most cases, district court will, a judge will listen to that and will take it into Mm. account. But a lot depends on the judge, a lot depends on the circumstances and a lot depends on you. So... Yeah, and at the risk of poking my nose, years and years ago, I was in a small claim situation yeah, and yeah. I had to stand up in court. Yeah. And even though I'd be pretty much used to public yeah. speaking, yeah. it's terrifying, it's John. It's harassing, yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. But it's set up in that way, Fran. If yeah. you think about it, like it is, it, it's like, it, it's not conducive to comfort yeah. and feeling comfortable. You've got an elevated bench with this person looking down at you. You've got acoustics is usually bad you often can't hear what's going on oh yeah no it's it's not a great place to yeah. to to perform in even if you are a performer and i mean yeah i mean i've had i've i've as you know i've done advocacy i've i've been in every court supreme court right down to the discord level and you know it's it's you know it's a particular skill and it can be quite stressful well that's for certain john always good to see you thanks very much Thank indeed for coming into us uh, today that's uh, john lynch of lynch solicitors in clonmel tip today with fran curry with slattery's garage puck on you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call slattery's garage for a free vehicle health check today 06 724111 or ie. On Friday, Johnny Luby was talking about the healthcare workers, our hard-working healthcare workers, who a lot of people would say are overworked, underpaid, and uh, uh, Noreen joins me now because she was listening to that uh, conversation. Noreen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. <clears throat> and good to talk to you today. You kind of took exception to what Johnny was saying because you were making the point that there's no worn-out healthcare workers, Noreen. Oh, well, I suppose that's not fair. No, I, I tend to see a bit red when it comes to um, the healthcare system. Yeah. Um, of course, there is overworked work. You know, I, I'm, I, I don't want to really talk, Fran, about people's personal experiences with mm. the, the, the health system. You know, it's more I want to talk about the HSE mm. in its entirety. Yes. And what are your thoughts then, Noreen? Um, my thoughts, Fran, I suppose to go back to that text and what, what kind of supported, um, you know, um, there is, there is an awful lot in the health service with very, very soft jobs. Do you think so? And yeah. I, oh, I do, I do, absolutely. Now, I suppose I have to exclude here now the, the emergency services because no money can pay these people for what they for what they do. Yes. You know, yeah. absolutely. And and nurses and doctors and, and what have you. But in the, on the bigger, bigger, bigger scale of things... Um, uh, the HSE is a it's oh, it's a multi-tiered corrupt corrupt organisation, and I suppose Fran, its workers have become institutionalised by their own silence. And you the, you, you the described silence. it in your text to us as a poisonous institution that is rotten to the core. That's that's strong stuff, Noreen. 
it is strong, friend, because any 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 I suppose institution seems very strong, but but it's not in a way if you, if you think about it in a bigger picture, because the HSE has become more of a business than a health service, mm. and um, you know, and and the workers have become institutionalised by their silence. Uh, and our silence is protecting a system that is broken and which is failing the people of Ireland in, on a massive scale. And why do you think workers are silent about, even though quite a lot over the years have spoken out here on this programme, but why why do you think workers are largely silent about what's happening with the HSE, Noreen? Well, you see, people will come on your programme, plan and they will say, we, we say they'll tell you about their north, their, sorry, excuse me, their daughter, their son, their niece, mm. whatever, and they'll say, well, a hard weekend they had and the abuse they took. And, uh, you know, you'll get the... But you'll never hear of how much they earn, how much the holiday, the, the, the holidays, the perks, we'll say, right? Just around it off as the perks, mm. you know? Or the overtime that, that they can avail of. And... Um, and are you talking you, about nurses here? I'm, I'm not talking about nurses in particular. I'm talking about... I would challenge anyone, fan. I challenge anyone working within the healthcare system from a home health to a nurse, to a doctor, to a porter, right up to the CEO and come on your show or any tele- any radio or television and say what their duties entail and what they are t- what they are earning. And you think they're being overpaid, Noreen? Oh, there's many. But of course there's going to be some fans that are, are not overpaid, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as I say, to the emergency services, no money could pay that. Yeah. But because of libel and, and, and so much libel against the HSE, the, um, yeah, they're paying out. I saw I saw that figure recently, the amount of millions that they paid out in in cases. That's incredible, in fact, isn't it? It's huge money. It's mind-boggling, Frank. Yeah. You know, and it's gone to the stage where that has taken over. That has taken over the health instead of healthcare. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it takes nearly two people to to to, to restock a, a drawer to fill up the bandages at this stage. Yeah, but but Noreen, you are referring to nursing staff then, and you are referring to, are you not? I suppose when you when that no, but I'm not trying. I'm not. I don't. I don't, and I certainly don't mean it to refer to as nurses. No, I don't. I could give you a couple of examples, but I don't want to because that's like everyone has a personal experience, yeah, right? Know, but we have a know. lucky, we have yeah. a lucky health system, you know. What should be done at this point, uh, do you think, Noreen? Well, Fran, I, I mean, Jesus Christ Almighty, I wouldn't have the answers to that one, but mm. I do, I know, first of all, I'll tell you, I know someone who has worked as a legal assistant in many of the HSE cases, mm. and that they have told me that the veil of secrecy is just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. He said they just defer, delay, 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 defend. Do you mean they're protecting themselves, in other words, for oh, as long as they can? It's like, it's like as if they're running a company with shareholders. Mm. Yeah. And they have over 20 firms of solicitors, which are probably on a massive amount of money, which could be anything, I suppose you wouldn't even guess it, friends, you know? Well, I suppose, when you think about it, though, I mean, they probably would have to. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people going through hospitals every single day, Noreen, and the possibility of spills and falls or incorrect diagnosis or whatever you know there's a lot happening there so they would have to have proper legal representation I suppose Oh of course they have to have proper legal representation uh, but they don't have to drag the arse out of every case And you think they are? Oh I know they are I know they are and when we only see the ones that come on the news on television you know Mm. 
And is the, is this down to the HSE or is it down to the Minister for Health and the Department of Health not being effective, do you think? I mean, what? It's down to the whole thing right across right across the board when, uh, between public and, and private sector. It's, it's down to so many. You couldn't just point your finger and say that, that, that's the cause of it, you know. It's down to management. It's down... I presume every hospital has a board of management. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody is answerable to somebody. But when something happens, nobody is answerable to anybody. You you sound like, and I know I don't want the detail or but you sound like you have a lot of personal experience of hospitals. No, no thanks to God, no. As in a libel case, I don't. No, I've no, yeah. I've no personal experience of libel cases against the HSE. Yeah. But, I mean, years ago, Fran, we say an average working family wouldn't have been able to afford to take a case against um, the hospital services. Yes. You know, it would be yeah. unheard of. You know, now... And rightly so. That's that's there for people because uh, there's some of the solicitor firms operate on a no win, no fee. Which now it's more complex than that. I think it is. There is a fee, mm-hmm. but you know you can go ahead with it and press forward. And like you were saying, the the HSE have to have to have their firm of solicitors, but they draw it out so much, friend, that um, it's just it's just mind boggling. It's just completely mind boggling. Yeah, well, we saw that in the cervical check cases where women were at death's door before there was some sort of a, a conclusion and to that. And we only saw that trend when it came to life, you yeah, know, and we I see know. these cases on the news, but we don't know anything about the smaller cases. Like you said, there's somebody that has slipped on a spill. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, we, don't, we don't hear anything about that. And is there anything that you're hearing that might lead you to believe that, look, we're, we're going to sort health? Is anybody saying anything? Not at all. Sinn Féin say, I, I don't know, they, they, they even admit, I think, that, you know, they have their work cut out for them if they, if they did get in. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, Fran. I mean, but if, if you look to France, I mean, apparently France is one of the best healthcare systems in, in, in the mm. world. Well, I keep hearing about um, the Nordic countries being particularly And the Nor- Norway, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, I suppose to put it into to plain language, I don't really understand the ins and outs of it, but I think in France, um, it, is more of a, uh, it is more of a kind of a universal healthcare system uh, where the doctors and GPs, mm. um, they also have private practices, but they draw from the public insurance funds or something. You know, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, whatever happens, we we certainly need to look at it uh, again. Anyway, that's that's uh, for sure. Um, it's great to talk to you today, Noreen. I'm sure it's something we'll take up again in the, the future. And thanks for coming on with us uh, today. We'll take a break, and we're back then with uh, a look at interior design. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, uh, glad to be joined in studio by our Queen of Interior Design, Karen Prendergast is with me. Good morning to you, Karen. How are you? And And uh, the good news is, today, it's almost the end of January. (laughs) Now, I thought it flew. I thought it flew. I find January sometimes is very slow, but... I suppose yeah. I was busy this this January and it just seemed to go a little bit faster than normal so that's good Very good Lots of our listeners getting in touch with you Karen which yeah. is great Yeah, Lots of questions and to be honest a lot of the time it's the same repeat questions over and over again but yeah people are thrilled to get the advice and I'm down the town or I'm in the shop or whatever and they'd be shouting oh I saw your mood board on board or thanks for that or yeah. whatever so people are really interested in 
Of course the topic, they are. Of to course be honest, friend, you know. Um, you, you have a mood board for us today as well. And it's a very topical thing, which is, you know, dealing with small places yeah. because not all of us, uh, like, have mansions, I suppose. No, not Karen. everybody has mansions. And even if somebody has what they might call or we might assume is a larger house, there's still going to be smaller rooms or smaller areas that you need to work out in whatever size house you have. So I suppose it's to get to know what you need, what's going to be clever for working your space and not worrying about what anybody else has but working your space to suit you. Yes, but there's some beautiful ideas here. The, the galley kitchen, for I love the galley Isn't kitchen. Isn't the colour gorgeous? It, it's just beautiful. No, it seems to be cluttered but beautifully cluttered if you know what I mean. And I suppose that person is into, they want to see their cooking utensils. Yeah. They probably have, you know, they've got plenty of room maybe not all that much room for what they have. Um, I did a job summertime last year and we put in a dark green kitchen in a very small kitchen area but they put in a roof light there wasn't a roof light they put in a roof light and we couldn't see anything now in the kitchen that that we did in, in June but it was stunning in the dark green friend absolutely stunning and the lady of the house wanted to have something different and she ah, went with my ideas and it so worked out so you know a beautiful house but a beautiful kitchen in good. the dark green the small bedrooms can can be an issue but I see that built in vanity unit what a great idea isn't it is. everything behind closed doors yeah. close your doors they're kind of we call them melogian doors you know doors on hinges so they open back that you can use it really easily that they're not two big doors they're four small ones and you've got your vanity unit there all your shelving drawers on either side underneath the stool area it's beautiful isn't it, Justin? Indeed. That notion as well of making a space more sociable, Karen. Um, it's important. Yeah. And when we when we think about, I suppose, a kitchen area or a living area, or maybe you have a kitchen, a dining, and it might roll on into the sitting the sitting room as well. Um, it's important that you have space that works for you. So when we're talking about sociable, looking at that, the mood board in that picture, they're showing um, a kitchen that has an island unit with seating at it. And I may also, I think there could be a drinks cabinet um, in beside that mm. as well, quite possibly the size of it. I'd say there's a fridge in there. Um, and they, you have... Is the fridge in the island? I'd say is the fridge is, is in the oh, island right, on the yeah. right of that. And as well as that, you've got plugs on the island. So you could work out of that island. You can eat there. You can entertain there. You've got your plugs so you don't need to be moving if you need to charge your laptop or, or iPad or whatever. So... It's all about making the space work for the people or person living in the house. Mm. And I think, you know, um, since COVID, I don't know, and it's not on topic today as such, but I mean, I get this all the time when I go into people's houses. People's lifestyles might have changed slightly since COVID. Mm. And when we might have been going out some years ago, we mightn't be going out as much. Or people would have built an area off their kitchen or off their, yes. their living room that they were able to use outside and they continue to use that as well. So being able to work your house properly for your needs. And if you did have a social occasion, so so many people now coming up, they're going to have communions, confirmations mm. in their houses and everything, and they want the flow of the house to work properly. Very good. And, you know, if you have small spaces, what about creating a sort of an illusion of space, Karen? Is, think, is that possible? Yes, it is. And and um, the how we would get around creating the illusion of space is bright colours, light flooring. Now, I'm not saying cream carpets or anything like that, but if you're going for a timber floor or a tile, that it's a lighter colour. That's user-friendly, and that's really mm. important. Also, pale woods, pale colours on the walls. If you're buying bed linen and you're in 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 my um in our double 
bedroom, it's quite a big room for a small house. But I always have um, white bed linen. There might be a little stripe of grey in it or whatever. I have a light grey on the walls, white units, um, storage units and whatever. So I've kept everything very light and bright. And, and my window treatment is a Roman blind and a curtain and they're grey. So mostly all the room is white. There's a lovely warm off grey, off white grey colour on the um, walls, but everything is light and bright. Interesting. Wall yeah. lights, in so the, I keep the keep the lo- keep the lockers free. Yes, and in the in the example you have here, there's a full length mirror. It looks like an antique. I, I'm not sure, but but it's just gorgeous and it works. It's, and again, there, mirrors are great. Yeah. So you can always reflect light um, inwards by placing the mirror opposite um, opposite a window or beside a window. Mm. So again, mirrors are really important. In you mm. need one in the bedroom. You need one in the. I would say to everyone. Um, going towards the front door, you need a mirror to check yourself going when, before you're going out. I love the uh, idea as well of the angle light on the wall and what space that uh, saves is incredible yeah. because you don't need a, and we a standing all, lamp. We yeah. always talk about lighting, don't we? Yeah. So, you know, I was in a house uh, yesterday, 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 and um, I was looking at a kitchen, come living area, come dining area, and the one thing that struck me when I walked in but it was one of the last things I got a chance to say because we ended up talking about so much I was there for so long talking going back yeah. on different angles of what we were thinking of doing going forward the lighting the lighting was so poor so the lighting need to be addressed there lighting should be the first thing to be addressed there but we had so much to get in and the consultation that it was the last thing that I addressed but lighting is so mm. important in a small area yeah. I just think it's such a difficult decision uh, for you to make if you go into a shop and you're overwhelmed by the choice uh, to make a decision on lighting it can is, be it is and I would difficult. say I would say like the way I make mood boards people should gather the ideas that they like for their flooring for their lights for their kitchen for instance I was in a, a, a ki- designing a kitchen on Saturday morning with clients and they would have loved to have the bottom of their kitchen presses in their kitchen navy blue and the top white and the island unit navy blue. Wow. But we knew, I knew, and the kitchen manufacturer knew that the room, it wouldn't do anything for the room to have the bottom units navy. So we agreed, in essence, that we would keep the all the units an off-white, a nice, very mm-hmm. light grey. Mm-hmm. Now, not light grey, off-white onto a grey, and that we do the island unit only in the navy blue. So the clients got their wish, but we as designers had to make sure that we were making the best possible very, very, use of their space. Very dramatic though. It's dramatic, but as well as that, when you when, when people have their dreams and and maybe someone's saving to get a kitchen with five years or ten years or repainting a kitchen they have or spending whatever amount of money they're spending. You know, they have all these dreams and hopes and whatever and we can de- I can definitely get them what they want but maybe the colour scheme or maybe what they're thinking of mm. or um, the couch that they're thinking of really isn't as it might look lovely but it's not really yes. comfortable well, that's, so that's why you're there that's why Karen. I'm that's, there that's so why you're there yeah. it's it, interior design is such a huge topic and so important for me to get it right for anybody's house that I go into yes, to the best of my ability I can't force people but to yes, the best of my but, ability but, uh, you always say at the core of your work is what do the people themselves want I mean that's that's when I walk into somebody's house on a, on a, on a consultation it'll probably be a one-off consultation maybe it's going to lead to a job that they wanted me to mm. look after a project I'm always, I go into a room, I'm looking at it from every angle, I'm over there, I'm sitting down, I'm having a look, I'm looking at the light, do you mind if I move around? I might only be doing one room, but I say, would you mind if you showed me, if I was doing the sitting yeah, room, would you mind yeah. if you showed me the kitchen and the hallway? So as I can get an idea 
how you use the house and what you like already. So I'm not going in and forcing anybody, anything on anybody. Yes, because that just wouldn't work, I'm sure. Um, the mood board will be up online yes, once it's in the afternoon. And, yes, yes, and just for people to access it, what, what, um, what It's Interior Concept, uh, sorry, uh, Facebook, Interior Concepts, um, Instagram, Interior Concepts, and my website is um, interiorconcepts.ie. Mm-hmm. Very good, and it's really worth having a look at. A couple of questions, if you would, Karen. My kitchen units are solid mahogany. Also, my stairs are solid mahogany wood. Can I paint them? I'm afraid to take the chance. Any advice would be welcome. I'll bet you get that question quite a lot. And that's that's why it's, it is a question, because I get it all the time, uh, maybe once or twice a week with the calls that I get. So absolutely, you can paint it. You need to make sure that if you're painting it yourself, you're getting somebody else a painter in to paint it that it's you, you use the right products that is a proper primer a bin primer and an undercoat and a finish then whether it's going to be in gloss and set or satin wood so yes it can be done 100% and for somebody who has a mahogany stairs and a mahogany kitchen and when they did get that in cost a lot of money it is a big jump mm. and I'm just going to say something a little bit controversial now most houses when I go into the lady of the house always wants everything painted and the man in the house never wants any of the timber work painted. Well, it's strange you say that, but when I read that out, I said, my God, what Mm. a shame to to paint mahogany. So I say to people, you know, as a a joke in passing, and we'd be having this banter in the house, and it's it's nearly 95% of the time men love the timber floors, they love the pine doors Mm. or mahogany doors or whatever they have, and they're quite happy to leave it that way. So um, it's something I come across all the time, that one one half wants to... paint and the other half. So you have to do a bit of counselling and uh, mediation as well. What colour should I paint my kitchen cupboard? I'm unsure how to pick a colour for the walls as well. Any tips on coordinating the two together? Good question. Yeah, Yeah. willow white is a lovely colour for kitchen units. Um, Subtle is a colour. Willow Willow white. Um, If you look up the colour, you will get the brand. Willow white, Subtle is a new colour that's out in the last six months in kitchen company shops for doors. So that's Willow White, Subtle, S-U-B-T-L-E. What, what is Subtle? L-E. Uh, what, what it's a, it's a, a very light stone colour. Okay. Oyster Bed is another colour on the same colour tones, but slightly darker. Very, very popular. Um, if somebody is thinking about uh, Blue Island, like I was talking about earlier on, uh, Muscle, M-U-S-S-E-L, is very good as well. All right. So okay. there are some colours that are, are good with so kitchen So again, if you units, Google those names, the colour will, colour come, will come, up. come up for the you. The colour will come up Just online. about out of time, Karen, but just this one. I'm about to take out my old existing kitchen and put in a newly designed kitchen. How much should I budget for? Again, it, dep- it, it, depends just, on the sp- yeah. it depends on the space. So I suppose anything from five to 6,000 upwards, depending if you are buying, if you're going to do a stone or a granite worktop, that has to be taken into account. What every second person at the moment wants a hot water tank tap that has boiling oh, water. Yes, yeah. So they are about a thousand at the minute. Are so they? yeah, uh-huh. you could very easily be up on ten, twelve thousand in a blink. In a blink, my God Almighty! Just a quick one as well. Our bedroom is dark purple. It says here, and the sitting room is holly green. I just love deep colours. And, and if, why not? And why not? They work really well. So you know, somebody who's who's into. A deeper colours or somebody who's into very pale colours they're never going to go the other side of the spectrum yeah. so if you like what you like and it works very well good we indeed if people want to talk to you Karen how can they do that my mobile is 086 606 9009 that's 086 606 9009 and just uh, quickly again for the mood board if people want to have a look at these Facebook, ideas Facebook and Instagram interior concepts 
and my web page, my website is uh, www.interiorconcepts.ie. All right, great Tongue to see twister. you. <laughs> great to see you, Karen. Thanks Thank very you, much. Frank. That's it for me. Doc produced Ali looked after our content. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye bye.